Welcome, everybody, to episode 25 of Behind the Blade podcast. We have a great show for you today. Today, we're going to cover several different news stories from Knife News. We're going to cover the history of the great Camillus, and then we're going to dive into a little bit of a review before your Q&As. We will see you guys very, very shortly. And we are back. Oh, man. I'm really looking forward to today. It's been a great weekend so far. Um, happy Halloween, you guys. Yeah, happy Halloween, gang. We're, uh, I think it's Tuesday as of the recording. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, we've got a couple days before the big, the big day. Uh, we had a little Halloween party at the house last night, which was kind of fun. Just a couple local cats came by, and Jim was one of them, and his lovely bride, Abby, and yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Everyone was dressed <laughs> like pirates. <laughs> I tried to come in as character, but you know I couldn't keep it up because it's just a little bit too ostentatious. Yeah, but <laughs> it was per- perfect entry, though. Yeah, I think it was absolutely perfect entry. So yeah, it was a good time. Everybody had. I was carrying. Uh, uh, Fairbairn Sykes second pattern that I had made in a leg sheet. That's right, you, know you were. I mean? We yeah, didn't talk about it, but of, I saw it. Part of my yeah. pirate costume. And, uh, what were you carrying, Jim? I know you got waylaid on your pirate. Yeah, I know. I got, I got waylaid on it, but what I was carrying as I was, uh, I wanted to carry my Marauder, but it was still at the shop because that would have been oh, that yeah. would have been perfect. the perfect yeah. you know Jim Stewart accessory for the pirate. But uh, I was actually just carrying my ultralight bushcrafter. <laughs> Very period. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, underneath my um, elastic pirate pants yeah. <laughs> that were over my cargo pants. Yeah, that was cool though. The way that worked out, you're like, oh, I have pockets under these. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I didn't get, I didn't get a chance to tell you, but when I got those pants, they came with like stupid foam like boot covers for shoes. Well, I think I saw them on your counter. Is yeah, that what, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm like, well, this is the first thing to go. So I <laughs> took my knife and I cut them off. Yeah. <laughs> it's a best best customization tool for for cosplaying and costumes. Um, happens to be a uh, really sharp knife. So, oh, <laughs> funny you should mention yeah. that. So, in my pirate costume, I had my uh, slip-on motorcycle boots. You know, everyone's seen them. The, they look like engineer boots or whatever you want to call them. They have the mm-hmm. ring uh, strap. Oh, yeah. Them. I thought so, they looked good, though. Yeah. Um, so, I wanted those kind of boot cuffs that hang down like yeah. on the pirate boots. And I had some leather that I had acquired for making some bags or something like that. I had some remnants. And I needed to fashion those boot cuffs in about 11 minutes because we were getting close to the 11th hour for the party <laughs> right. and I was like I have to do this I have about 10 minutes to do it so I laid out the leather and I found a piece that looked basically appropriate in size and the only thing that I used to fabricate those cuffs mm-hmm. the only tool two tools actually I used a hammer and I uh-huh. used my Swiss Army knife Pioneer. So I actually <laughs> used the Swiss Army knife to cut out all uh-huh. the parts on the table. And then I used the all to punch the holes for the rivet. And I put the rivet through and then hit it with a hammer and I was done. So it took me 10 minutes to make that. And they looked, I thought they looked pretty good, especially for being a 10 minute job. And I nice. would not have been able to do it so quick if I didn't have my Swiss Army knife in my pocket <laughs> at that moment. So yeah, exactly. Best costume customization tool is going to be the pocket knife. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. That works out really well. Yeah, it was cool. All right, so uh, what are you carrying today, good sir? Uh, today, ooh, I've got a fun one. Um, today I'm carrying a knife that I have wanted for... <sighs> you guys should know by now that I'm very cheap, and I, I wait <laughs> for the right opportunity, and I am carrying a knife that I've wanted for like the past six or seven years. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. and it is the Emerson CQC8 Horseman, and I just love this knife. Now, it is... A face only a mother can love because it is so reminiscent <laughs> of the Bob Taylor warrior knife. Sure. In its yeah. shape and execution, or maybe even the pocket hobbit or whatever it was. Yeah. Pocket um, hobbit. Um yeah. and I 
I just really have always wanted this knife, and I was making a delivery over at uh, DLT Trading, and I realized that they were Emerson dealers, mm -hmm. and I was like, I gotta have it. So <laughs> I was like, just hold one for me, you know, for a week, and I'll come back and grab one. And so I did, and I went and I got it, and I couldn't be happier with it. There are a couple things that I want to probably customize on it, just for my own visual eye. You know what I mean? Some mm -hmm. things that I'd like to change on it. So I'm. I think it's going to be a project, as all of my Emersons have been in the past. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> but overall, I just think it's a killer knife. I'm. I'm very happy with it, and. Uh, yeah, I've been carrying it, so my pockets will be blown out in no time because it's waved. Yep. And every time you pull it out, it just trashes your trousers a little bit. It's so. like, well, I have to dedicate pants to being Emerson pants. Yeah, exactly. Until they yeah. wear out. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome. It. What are you carrying, Jim? Um, I am carrying something kind of light today. I'm not carrying anything on my belt for the first time in probably months. Nice. Um, because I usually carry the Ultralight or uh, my Kalahari Bushman right. or the Marauder or something along those lines. But today, I'm carrying my basic... Spyderco Endura 4. Oh, I love and these. and it's VG10 steel. Um it's got a I think it's a nylon handle, not, yeah, not FRN, FRN. Fiberglass reinforced nylon. Fiberglass yeah. reinforced nylon and it's it's super stable, it's strong. It was a great price. It's got a great design. I love the feel of it in the hand. Um, they weigh nothing. They weigh nothing. They're 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 that's something that I really like in knives is when they is when they're super light. Yep. Because because you shouldn't have to it, it shouldn't be a mental distraction that you've got a burden on your own weight that you have to compensate for. Exactly. You know, like like you would on a large knife, which which sounds like it's which does honestly sound like it's nitpicking because because when you've got a, like a dedicated task, you're going out in the woods and you've got and you've got a little do a little bit of trail clearing and you want to carry the machete that that weighs that weighs a lot or grasso bolo. Let's right. just say that this is just like a just really a big chopping tool. Um, it doesn't bother you at all because you've got like a purpose behind it and like this is why I'm carrying it. But as far as an EDC goes, I feel that it shouldn't be distracting. Yes. So so uh Endura four, super lightweight, great knife. I've I've built I've built traps with uh, my my not that one, but my other Endura four. Oh, nice. I had I had, an, I had an all stainless. Yeah, I know. Uh, Endura four. <laughs> <laughs> I should I should never have given that one away, but but you know, c'est la vie. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but no, I love it. It's a great. It's a very purposeful knife. It's 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 a good knife, man. Um, for me, I I mean, I think it. Uh I think it solves any issues that the Buck 110 had. Sure. But yeah. it's just as recognizable and classic in a design. So to me, for my money, I would EDC it just for fun and just because mm -hmm. I'm a knife lover. But the reality is I would love to keep an Endura or even the rat cutlery, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Something that, like that. That's along the same lines. In, in a vehicle kit. Sure. Because yeah. not particularly expensive, mm -hmm. very reliable lightweight mm -hmm. and i i mean i just think they're a great knife for me the endura was my uh ultimate river knife sure you know what i mean yeah. or if i was like in comfortable clothing or if i was kind of hiking and wanted to be lightweight or swimming somewhere in a lake or a river then this would be the knife that i kept on me because it was so lightweight it didn't it didn't have a bias to want to slip out of your waistband right. or out of your pocket as yeah. a heavier knife would mm -hmm. i mean think of a sabenza and the slick sides. <laughs> oh yeah. And the weight. Oh yeah. You go tumbling through water. There's a possibility that it'll slide out of your swim trunks pocket, and then it's gone. Right. From whatever oh, you were doing. Totally. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah. Something like this is because it's so light. It has no influence to gravity when you're moving right. and shaking with it. Right. Yeah. The weight is not greater than the clip clasping onto whatever you've got. Exactly. Yeah. As far as momentum is concerned. Yep. No. So. I, I just I absolutely love these knives. Even mm -hmm. though I almost lost my fingers to one. Um. I. But I do have to say, <laughs> I, I don't even. Did we talk about this? Me I don't think so. Breaking no. Breaking into the car. With my Endura. Oh, you? Yeah, yes, yes. On, did we discuss yes. it on air? <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> yes, at the same time, we're not. We're not stealing your. We're not stealing no, no, not that one. Not no, that, not one. that one. No, no, no. no. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was. Uh, 
<laughs> so when we were out on a job, I was still doing contract work, and we were having our first cigarette of the day. And at that point, I was carrying an Endura that I had uh, uh, picked up at the PX in Okinawa. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were on a job in California, if I'm not mistaken. It was Lompoc, California, uh, uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base, Vandyland. And we're out having a cigarette. We're warming up our Ford pickup truck. And while we're smoking, early in the morning, it's still dark, we hear all the doors lock. And oh, no. we're like, what just uh. happened? The truck locked itself with the keys in it while it's running. Just just we by have, happenstance, weird glitch bug or yeah, something. Exactly. Okay. Maybe somebody opened a garage door and they were on the same frequency <laughs> and it's just all chunk. And we were yeah. like, no. And so we checked the back window and it's latched. You know, we can't get in there. And so I took my Endura and I jammed it between the door frame and pried away from the roof, you know, just uh-huh. behind the A pillar. And I was able to pry the Ford pickup and the pickup truck is a truck you know what yeah. i mean it's not like it's made of cardboard yeah but i literally pried the door open with an endura There's and shit. was able to get a coat hanger in there to unlock it and get us in so nice that's pretty impressive you know what i mean as far as how lightweight and uh, not chintzy but they feel very basic yeah and i was able to pry a truck door open with it <laughs> well, can't complain uh, about that that's awesome so that's my right side today oh what do you got your left side <laughs> my left side i've got my microtech scarab yeah i don't think you've talked about this on here yet no have no you? i have oh have I've, you okay. i've talked about it i've talked about it so this is the only out the front that i can that i would consider um close to visually to, to have the visual tension that we look for it's when we're balanced designing yeah it's got it's got a really nice balance to it i mean like of course you need a little bit of a bigger handle to house the blade yep. when it when it snips back down i think that's any but, any folding knife though right any pocket knife yeah you're gonna have to conceal the blade in the handle therefore right. the handle has to be bigger than well the blade. and when you're when you're when you're designing, like, say, a slip joint, you have to try to find the balance where the blade and the handle look like they're the same size or close when it's open, but the handle still has to house the blade when it's closed. Like an impossible puzzle. So, yeah. so, it, so it is a little bit of a task when you're designing. Um, it's not, it's not a terrible, it's not a terrible chore. But I really like this knife. I'm super excited to be, uh, to be, to be carrying it because of Octo- as of October 10th, it's now legal to carry switchblades in Michigan. Yes. And I'm not the only person who knows that. I, I've met other people. Um, that that have also told me it as it was news to them. Like they like 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 they just got the news. Did you know? So yeah. they're carrying it. So like, did you know that you're car- that, that it's legal to carry switchblades in Michigan now? And then I pull out the scarab and I go and I'm like, yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. So so yeah, I'm still still riding that high. Um, if you would. So I, I am too, man. I mean, I, cool. I'm with you. I carry an auto more times than not because I can. Uh, more than out of necessity. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's like I can legally do this now, so I'm going to. And it's still a functional knife. It's very strong, so I'm super, I'm super happy about that. Sweet. What uh, we talked about what you were carrying. Yeah. All right. So why and don't I, we? And I, I left out what I'm carrying for the history lesson because okay. I, I, I want to kind of leave that out in the mystery, <laughs> and we will discuss it. And I think you guys are gonna like it. So awesome. All right. So and then now on to the news. Industry headlines from around the world, brought to you by KnifeNews.com. Knife news for knife people. All right, and we are back with some with some some great news. This is good stuff. I mean, Jim gave me a little primer. We don't get too deep into it, otherwise we're gonna burn up all the good content. You feel like you're repeating jokes. <laughs> yep. So we just kind of loosely touch on it. He's like, "Hey, here's the news stories today," and. There's some pretty interesting stuff going on right now. Nothing controversial, sure. just cool. You yeah, know? yeah, just just some pretty cool stuff. There's well, there's a little bit of a controversy, so we'll immediately dive into the political one first, just to get it out of the way. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> all right, right from KnifeNews.com. All these articles are because they've been right on top of the knife industry news. Um, New York Governor oh, yeah. vetoes knife reform bill for second year in a row. So that's uh, it's Andrew Cuomo. 
has vetoed the Knife Rights Gravity Knife and Switchblade Reform Bill for the second year in a row. Um, he vetoed it for the first year because the language, because he didn't like some of the language. And so they changed the language, and he goes, no, it's still not good because it, rises, because it raises all of these other issues oh. that he didn't mention the other year. Right, he's you moving know. the goalpost. Yeah, you know he, I mean? yeah, he moves the goalpost. Um, so when uh, they spoke with Knife Rights in June, they were... Uh, Knife News. When Knife News spoke with Knife Rights in June, they were cautiously optimistic that changes in the 2017 version of the bill would appease Cuomo since they addressed issues he raised in his 2016 veto. There are links for uh, for previous stories here, so we'll go ahead and let you guys just go to the knifenews.com and uh, find the article to go to those links. But I highly recommend that you check them out because they did a great job aggregating all the information you would need to, to be totally informed here. Um, but in today's veto message, Cuomo acknowledged the changes but says that they raised new issues of their own. Yeah, I think he's got bigger fish to fry than people who want to carry three hundred dollars switchblades. Uh, probably, you know what I yeah. Mean? Like that is not the root of the crime problem in New York, and if anything, it adds to the you know it's the old adage if outlaws or switchblade only are if switchblades are outlawed, only outlaws will carry switchblades. Uh-huh. And what you end up with, and I have accounts from a lot of good friends and customers and stuff. Um, that the transit authority cops there in the mm-hmm. subway, yeah. construction worker gets home, dog ass tired from a long day mm-hmm. of you know either managing a jackhammer or running a crane or swinging a hammer or yeah. whatever. And he's got his pocket knife in his pocket. Right. Now, no nefarious implement. He's not mugging people. This is right. a man who works hard for his money, and he gets on the subway. Mm-hmm. Transit authority cops book him on oh site. My God. They see the clip sticking out of his pocket, uh-huh. a necessary tool that he uses for eight to ten hours a day for mm-hmm. his shift. And because he's carrying that tool with him, now he is a criminal in the eyes of the law. Yeah. And he's thrown in jail and his knife is confiscated. Yeah. And that, I mean, that to me, that's ridiculous. So even if we step back from the stupid switchblade ban, mm-hmm. how about let's just let pocket knives be for yeah. a little bit and let's work on crime. Let's work on the trouble areas. But I mean, right. I can get in a political pulpit on this and I, I really don't want to because to me, it's so blatantly common sense that I can't wrap my head around why it's not being fixed. Oh, yeah, yeah. to add to that, to add to that usually the, the knife and gun legislation ends up in a conversation about educating the other side. Right. More than talking about the legislation because the other side, for, for, all, for all of the, the heart that they have behind it, they don't have the knowledge or experience base to be able to adequately debate somebody who does. Because you're just and, trying to compare apples to apples at that point. Yeah, That's, yeah. Uh, what was his Neil deGrasse Tyson? You know, they yep. were like, what would you give to be able to speak with uh, Sir Isaac Newton? And we're going to get a little science geeky on you guys mm-hmm. for a minute. Uh, and he, he was like, I couldn't. He's like, I would love to, but I would spend too much time. These are Neil's words. I would spend too much time just trying to explain what I'm saying yeah. that we would never be able to talk about the deeper root issues. He, you know, he could be like, well, I got on a bus. And then Isaac Newton would be like, well, what's a bus? You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> yeah. I called somebody on a phone. What's a phone? And you would spend all your time, you know, addressing <laughs> uh-huh. this technology. It's the same thing as we're the legislators are spending so much time just trying to explain the fundamentals that they can't mm-hmm. get to the main entree of the discussion. You right. Know? Right. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a shame. And any t- anytime there's restrictive knife laws, uh, I it frustrates me to no end. And I'll be honest, I am one of the least politically biased individuals, so it's not left versus right or this or that. I think it's common sense versus the world. Yeah. You know, that's how yeah, I look absolutely. at it. Absolutely. A lot of these laws, that's basically where it falls down to yep. 100% of the time. So, so um, 
Um, Akuomo acknowledged the changes, but says that they, were, they raised new issues of their own. He, quote from him, Unfortunately, while the bill dis, did succeed in removing any ambiguity in the definition of a gravity knife by limiting the universe of knives to only those knives whose blade released solely by, by the force of gravity, it did so in a way that would essentially legalize all knives. Like, well... God forbid. Well, you know, that's kind of the point. Yeah, so, yeah that's what they're going for. <laughs> that's what they're going for. Um... Cuomo stated that New York's knife crime is on the rise and the state's law enforcement community was uniform in its opposition to the wholesale legalization of readily deployable knives. Okay, so that's a little bit that's a little bit of a uh, of a, an oxymoron in and of itself. Knife crime's on the rise. I'm like, but you already have the super restrictive knife law. Right. So, so clearly that's working. So that's working yeah, out real yeah. well, isn't it? So, oh, so you mean you mean to tell me that if the construction worker is allowed to ride the subway home to see his family after working all day, right. then somehow that's going to also Wait. increase knife crime? Oh, oh, oh yeah. well, the, the statistic that you're that you're likely citing is included in that rising knife crime thing because they're picking up more people that's a good that aren't actually doing anything. They just happen to have it on them that have never committed a crime in their they're life. They're creating criminals yeah. from otherwise law-abiding exactly. citizens for zero infraction. Yeah, didn't do anything. Yeah. You got it on the subway. By virtue of carrying that tool that you've had all day, it doesn't mean that you mug somebody. It means you got arrested for carrying the tool all day. Right, <laughs> you know what I mean? right. So, so is there something wrong with the society oh in this God. instance or is there something wrong with the law criminalizing oh. people that haven't done anything? So... So definitely something to think about on that one. Um, according to Knife Rights, in a statement, Cuomo once again turned his back on the large coalition of organizations, many part of his own constituency, which supported the bill. In vetoing this this bill, he has once again doomed thousands more to arrest and prosecution for carrying common pocket knives that won't get somebody arrested virtually anywhere else except in New York City. Right. So, I mean, so I, I totally agree with Knife Rights on that one. Um, if the bill had been signed into law, it would have put an end to the infamous wrist flick test used used to determine the legality of a knife in New York City. Jesus. Right. This policy is currently under additional legal scrutiny and knife rights ongoing lawsuits against New York City and District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr. This second veto clearly reveals the lie of Cuomo's avowed commitment to the criminal justice reform. So... You know what? If anybody has the power... And look, I'm against lobbyists... But in this one case, if anybody has the power to be able to make a difference, it's going to be knife rights. It's going to be the American Knife and Tool Institute. Mm -hmm. You know, it's these these. I hate using the term, but they are lobbyists who actually do fight for mm -hmm. the right. And look, guys, and the only reason that I'm getting on this soapbox right now is because there is some power in the citizenship and the constituency of these locales, of these states and cities, right? Absolutely. Uh, by voicing your opinion, mm -hmm. it affects so much more than just that construction worker or that legislature's uh, legislator's perception of criminal activity. It affects production numbers. And mm -hmm. production numbers go back to typically a root family who is running a business that is missing an entire chunk of a market. And it's not out of greed, but I mean just out of sustainability. So when you outlaw things in certain areas, you're hurting the revenue of everybody involved in that industry because yeah. they can no longer market to that area. Mm -hmm. So it is important. I mean, it's important for small business. It's important for large business as much as nobody wants to have their back because mm. they're rolling in it. But it's important for commerce to be able to legalize these things because it opens up a whole nother thing, a whole nother uh, market. Yeah. And I, I think it has long lasting effects anytime you prohibit something as innocuous. And I know it's tough as I'm holding like a fighting knife, a combat <laughs> knife in my hand. But I mean, look, in my other hand, I also have the, my little stainless steel demo knife, yep. and which is illegal. 
in other countries and it's illegal in New York City. Yep. You know totally. what I mean? So it's it's silly and it, it hurts more people than it helps and it doesn't do one thing to stop crime because look, I've known people who have seen people stabbed with screwdrivers for Christ's sake. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it, more more people every year get get uh, killed by hands and feet, screwdrivers, hammers, and yeah, hammers and baseball than, bats, than you know. the knives and guns combined. I mean, so I mean, maybe that's a little bit of an exception. Definitely, definitely firearms than that is. Yeah. But, but, uh, but people tend to use people tend to do violence with what's around them, not because they see or hold something particular. And the same so, way that the survival experts and the Navy SEALs on the videos and everything, they'll be like, you know, you're, you are the weapon, your mind is yeah, the weapon, totally. and everything else mm-hmm. is a tool. It holds true on this kind of negative light also, is that the implement is not the, what's committing the crime, it's the criminal. Yeah. You know what I mean? They are the weapon. And like to your point, they're going to use, if it's a brick, yeah. you know what I mean? I've, Absolutely. I've seen people get smashed with bricks. Okay. Yeah. So all brick buildings now need to be outlawed. Exactly. Yeah, we have to use foam rubber bricks. So, yeah, no, I mean. <laughs> I mean, you are the weapon, whether you're on, you know, whether you walk in the shadows or walk in the light. Um, let's just put an end to the ridiculousness and let's let working men and women carry the tools of their trade and use them appropriately. And if you want to go camping and bushcrafting, you want to take a K-bar with you, even though it's a designed mm-hmm. utility slash combat fighting knife, then you should be allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. And just just try not to murder people unnecessarily. So, if, yeah, you and can, if you can master that, I think we'd be okay. It's like, I think I got that down. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I haven't yeah. murdered anybody yet. I total yet. control of my murder capability. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to change just because I'm holding a thing. Right. You know, so, all right. <clears throat> Let's move on to something a little bit, a little bit lighter. It's something that's pretty cool. Um, Victorinox released a very specific model. Yes, and and I am a little excited about this one. It's a little a little high end bourgeoisie, yeah. if, you, <laughs> if you will, on this one. But but I but I totally but I totally like it. It's um it's based off of their Ranger model. They call it the Wine Master. It's got a nice wooden handle. It's got a three and three quarter inch locking blade. Yeah, come on, sure. So it's got a it's got a. See if we can get a, a closer, closer a picture of oh, it. Oh, that's sexy! Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really cool. It's got a, it's got a, it's based off the Ranger model, three and three quarter inch blade with a with a stepped um, wine bottle opener and corkscrew, and at the bottom of the stepped wine wine bottle uh, opener, it's got a bottle opener. Right. And then on top of that, there's a little, there's a little hook shaped. Um, what 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 do they call it? Relief or something? Yeah. Yeah. There's a little hook shaped blade that basically goes oh, around the foil. The yeah. foil cutter. Yep. Yeah. It's called the foil cutter. So it's got a foil cutter that goes all the way around. You can take the foil off, then you take the corkscrew out, and you screw it down into the corkscrew. Then you use the step on the top lip of the wine bottle, and you use the knife handle as a lever to pull the corkscrew out. Just like a, a sommelier tool, like any mm-hmm. wine key they call them, wine key or som tools. Yeah. Uh, and what I like about this the most mm-hmm. is finally, finally. Victorinox made the corkscrew make sense. Yes. Like, finally, <laughs> it is at home with the rest of the loadout. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. magnifying glass, wood saw, you know, screwdriver, wire stripper, fish scaler, ruler, and corkscrew. One of these things is not like the other. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. However, they were like, you know what? Let's keep the corkscrew and let's make a model of a knife that makes it appropriate. And they turned it into mm-hmm. a wine key. If yes. I, I have a couple wine keys at the house. We use them, and some are high end. I've had some. Very high end ones that I sold because it was ridiculous to have. They were like the three hundred bucks or something. <laughs> oh, like that. Yeah, so, but I think I am going to replace what we currently have with one of these wine masters because number one, everyone expects us to be knife freaks in our household. Anyways, so this fits perfectly with perfect. That. <laughs> and I'm a Swiss Army knife maniac, so this is. I think this is a great move and way to keep the corkscrew relevant and make it appropriate in a in a in a, a single unit, a single that, item. Absolutely. I mean, they they totally put the whole thing together so it looks good while you're using it. Oh, it's hot. 
it, okay. it, it's hot looking. Now, didn't too. you say that the the, the shield, the Swiss shield, mm-hmm. is a button on this yeah, one? Yeah, it's it's a button locking blade, and it and it locks according to the the button, and it's underneath the shield. So you push the shield down. To release to release the blade. That's they should do that freaking on all cool. Them. They should oh, do yeah. it on every knife. I don't I don't care yeah. if it's a ranger or the trekker <laughs> or whatever. They should do that on everything because that is awesome. I think it fits the style. I think it fits. The, I think it fits the knife and the brand. You know, really oh. well to be able to use the shield as a button. I mean, it's cool. When it's, you it, get that, yeah. uh, look, the, anybody who has bought, there's something magical. Now I I have old Swiss Army knives that were hand me downs. I have mm-hmm. gifts. I have ones that I had since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I you know stuff that I acquired. You know, used. And you're like, this is the venerable Swiss Army knife. However, when you purchase a brand new Swiss Army knife mm-hmm. and you unbox it and you open it, I promise you there is no other production knife company that can come close to the fit and finish of the Swiss craftspeople that built and assembled and engineered these <laughs> knives. They uh-huh. are astonishing from the polish to the movement to the action to mm-hmm. the you know usefulness and edge on the blades. So I don't know, man. There's something about that button. You know they're going to nail it. Mm-hmm. You know that the fit and finish is going to be on point, and I, I look forward to the day that I unbox mine. And, <laughs> and I don't even drink wine, guys. <laughs> it's just another knife. <laughs> and I drink domestic beer that doesn't need a bottle opener, furthermore. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, but I, I'm excited about this. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it's really cool. So <clears throat> so be on the lookout for that. Um, the Wine Master, that's the model name? Yep, model the, 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 it's called the Wine Master, and it hits the mark in an upscale olive wood or a walnut handle as an option. So if it's upscale olive wood, you know that that'll be busy. That's probably what I'll end up getting. Is that uh, <laughs> it's more figuring in the olive wood? Oh, yeah, big time, big okay. time. It's, it's a tan wood with dark, almost smoke, almost like Ooh. trailing smoky black lines through it. Yeah, no, yeah. it's cool. It's cool. It's even got like a little bit of a depth where, where, the, where the lines actually kind of almost blend out on the sides. Like a to it? Or yeah, like not, a, not like a chatoyance, but almost like if you're looking at smoke on a black background and you see the wisp gotcha. of smoke and then it, how how you've got like the little sub-wisps that come yep. off. That's kind of what olive wood looks like, but okay. it's tan and black. Oh, cool. And it's it's cool. Olive wood's a beautiful, beautiful handle material, especially if we can get it stabilized. I need to look into that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I can get olive wood, just it's all, and none of it's dry. So, <clears throat> so that's that. Highly recommended. Check that out. The last one that I've got for you guys today... Ooh, is, also uh, Swiss Army Knife related. Also Swiss Army yeah. Knife related, but this is uh, an entrepreneur who's actually making a Swiss Army Knife accessory so that replaces your toothpick in any Swiss Blade Army knife, Swiss Army Knife blade that has a toothpick. Right. So you take the toothpick, you throw it away, and then you replace it with this thing. What is it? It is a fire steel. And it's not, and it's a great idea. So it's not just a fire steel that they've that they've taken out of a magnesium rod and then turned into something that fits in there with a cap. Right. So let's talk about the cap for a second. The cap on the fire steel is a glow in the dark cap that 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 uh, that once it's all put together slides in, and oh, and yeah. it and it's glow in the dark. So that is what retains the fire steel into the knife. So as you use the fire steel and wear it down, it doesn't become loose because it clips in according to the same kind of clipping principle that the toothpick does. Right. You know? And on top of that, this guy has a specific formula in his fire steel that makes it stronger. Really? So you're not, like, afraid to break it so so easily. Oh, because so, it's so fine. Because it, because, because it's such a small little thing. So so the guy basically takes his it looked like a it looked like a ranger with a saw uh-huh. or, or I am uh, cuz you're more familiar with the models than I am, but there's but there's a saw on it. So he takes the saw out and he takes the fire steel out. And he strikes a fire with the one knife and the and the tool right there in the thing, then he takes the fire steel and sticks it back into the knife, collapses the saw for one package. <laughs> so you've got your knife and your tools and your fire starting kit in one knife. And it's not just like like a divot where you have to go get a stick and have to make a bow drill right. out of yeah, it or anything yeah. like this. It's it's a it's a completely inclusive package, and I like it a lot. 
So that is on Kickstarter right now, and they're calling it the Firefly. The the company's name is Tortoise Gear, and uh, and it's an aftermarket accessory for Swiss Army knives, just to cover that again, that it replaces your toothpick. Um, <clears throat> so it takes uh, Top Honors as his preferred bushcraft survival tool, but it lacks one essential item, the fire steel. Of course. And so he fills that with um, this Kickstarter campaign. The Kickstarter campaign is definitely a go. It has nine days left as of the recording today. I don't have my date on my watch, but today's the 29th. 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 Yeah, 29th. So, but he had a pledged goal of $28,000 on Kickstarter, 74000 as of as of this as of this recording. I think yeah. this is cool. Yeah. All right. And uh, you can, of course, give $1, you know, to pledge, but your minimum pledge to actually get Fireflies, the you, for $14, you get three of them. I, I think I'm going to have to do this once we're done recording. Yeah. Just, if we only have nine days, I want that so bad. I've got so mm-hmm. many Swiss Army knives. Now, I love the toothpick feature. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, I, I actually really, I use my toothpick a lot. Mm-hmm. I just, I've, my mouth looks like an old cemetery. <laughs> I have gap teeth, and I always get food stuck in them. And so I'm, I'm like, I am I ready to give up my toothpick? I think in the in one of my camping field Swiss Army knives, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, cool. I, I think that would just be a cool addition. And the thing that makes the saw unique, so I would recommend this. Uh, look, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert, but I can tell you one thing about Swiss Army knives. All the tools are polished on the spine edges except mm-hmm. the saw. Right. The saw is fine blanked and machined, and it has that rough edge. So I wouldn't recommend putting a Firefly in a knife that doesn't have a saw. Sure. Because it is yeah. the one tool out of the entire package, unless you want to customize and put a 90-degree spine. But the saw itself has a different spine than any other tool in the Swiss Army knife package. So I would recommend, if you have one with a saw, then get a Firefly and try it out. Excellent. Uh, that sounds pretty cool. And I'm looking forward to testing it and seeing if we can start a fire with it. Yeah, that, that, that'd be cool. That'd be cool, too. I'm thinking about diving in for 14 bucks. We'll just have, what we'll a, have six of them. We'll have six so, of them. What a day pack tool, though. Yeah. And with six uh-huh. of them, we can be really aggressive on one to test it to its full limits. Absolutely. And then still have two as backups. <laughs> yeah, we can really yeah. kind of put a, put a stress on it. Um, it might really surprise us. It might not. But this is... This is just a cool idea, and it deserves to be funded. I agree. I, I totally agree. Regardless of, of, of longevity of what of or, or opinion of, of how long it might last, this is a great idea. I think it's cool. This yeah. is a very cool idea. So Kickstarter, um, and it's called Firefly, the Ultimate Swiss Army Knife Accessory, and you can easily find it there. So cool. that uh, that ends the news for me. Anything? You got anything? Um, a quick update. Uh, this isn't self-promoting, so I'm comfortable saying this. We are almost ready to move into the VM at Knives World Headquarters. Yes. Yeah, we just got the heat on, so mm-hmm. the gas is hooked up, propane bottle's been delivered, and uh, we're kind of waiting on the bathroom to be completely installed, although that's about 50%. So we're expecting, and this also affects you guys as Behind the Blade podcast listeners, um, because we are going to be putting the new recording studio in uh, the VM at Knives building, and we have an area dedicated to it and everything. So... Uh, we're thinking November 1st we should be moving in there and you guys can start expecting a little bit of a different show per se just because of resources that will be readily available mm-hmm. to us there uh, mid-November come December maybe. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, yeah, We have some bright things on our horizon mm-hmm. as BTB and then as VK also. So I, I mm-hmm. think that is, is, in my world, that's newsworthy and I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. We will see you guys after the break. So in the previous segment, we were talking about how the pocket knife is so useful as a Halloween de- uh, costume embellishment tool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. How, how necessary it is. But truth be told, while Ashley, uh, she's a vehement knives employee, good friend of ours, and uh, just a member of the vehement family, um, while she was making her 
costume, which she stitched all together. Jen mm-hmm. got to see it. Super talented, by the way. She yeah. hands she hands me her dressmaking shears, mm-hmm. and I I literally asked her. I said, did, "Were you using these to cut barbed wire before you did this project?" <laughs> you know, these are her fancy shears, and I don't remember the brand or whatever, but they were her dressmaking shears with all these, you know, special geometries and sharp tips and all this stuff. And uh, I was like, "These things are trashed." And she had only used them on fabric, but they had just worn out mm-hmm. over the years, or maybe you know, like a boyfriend or something was like oh i can use this to open up this packaging or something sure. they were they were tore up and she looks at me with kind of puppy dog eyes and hands them to me and i will be the first person <laughs> to admit that i am not a scissor sharpening guru <laughs> that is not in my wheelhouse it's I, I have an obsession with scissors i collect them but i have never been able to really get them higher performing than as found even if gotcha. i take them to the grinder then they're just they look nicer but they still perform as they did before i started <laughs> however I was about five paces away from my KME drawer. I have a drawer on my workbench mm-hmm. that is nothing but KME and Genda Industries sharpening <laughs> attachments. I even have a Lansky yeah. tool in there and some bench stones. But uh, I was about five steps away from my KME system, and I said, I got this. So <laughs> I opened it up. I have my scissor sharpening accessory. Mm-hmm. and went upstairs, and I took the Sharpie to the edge of the blade, and I, I got everything dialed in, and I hooked it up to the whole system, and I took my KME sharpener scissor attachment, and when I brought him back, I thought she was going to cry. She's like, <laughs> I, she didn't realize how dull and worn out they were until she had a sharp pair in her hands. And so, guys, I'm telling you, go visit KMESharp.com. Go check these guys out on Facebook. Hit them up. They have dealers and distributors. But I promise you, I don't care if it's you. I don't care if it's your wife or your girlfriend. or But you will see a noticeable difference and I have yet to experience a scissor sharpening system as effective and as user friendly as these. And I, now, I am a scissor sharpener. <laughs> and so that, gave, that makes me feel good. Another you know? feather in the cap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, now sure. I can sharpen scissors. So yeah, go check them out. It's kmesharp.com. And uh, if you don't already have the KME system, I recommend getting that. It's gotten so much positive feedback and what you get dollar for dollar is so much more than you can from some of the other brands. There are some um, more expensive brand sharpeners out there, but dollar for dollar, you can whip out the exact same edge. And it's, man, I, the versatility of their accessories, everything, it's all US made, all US source components. I mean, I can't get enough of this company. And obviously they're big supporters of the show, but we're also conversely big supporters of KME because yeah. we believe in their product. And being able to sharpen those scissors, I think, is something that any household can use. So from kitchen knives to scissors, I mean, we're not talking about stilettos and, and uh, implements of mayhem here. Right. We're talking about things that every household has mm-hmm. that can be remedied with this one kit, this one investment. So definitely check them out, kmesharp.com, and you can find the resources all over the internet, the YouTube channels and Facebook and all that stuff too. And uh, find out how you can add this very important tool to your household to make your life easier. And you'll look like a rock star when the old lady hands you a pair of shears and you come back and they could cut space and time. <laughs> all right gang we are back for the history segment um i just want you to take a minute kind of relax shake the dust off mm-hmm. and and think about camping as a kid think about camping as a kid and think about your childhood adventures now i know there's a lot of cats who went on some very adult adventures and that's a that's a whole different thing you know I, maybe even we, we've talked about this possibly even ad nauseum about the experience of, of knife collecting and use 
and what it has done to bring friends together, what it's done to bring families together, you know what I mean, grandfathers and grandkids. And, and so to me, that's a very dear thing. And I know uh, Reed over at uh, North Star Trading Post and I have talked about this for hours on end, and it's something that I can never tire of. But picture being a kid, getting ready to go on some childhood adventure and being handed a fixed blade knife and a folding knife. And what I have in my hands right now are two very iconic versions of each. I have my stainless steel demo knife that you guys have heard me talk about forever that I've had since 99. (laughs) And, I mean, any camping survival kit basically has this same knife in it, whether it's the Boy Scout knife or if you're lucky to have... Uh, since World War II, I think the demo knives came out, but I know they really mm-hmm. proliferated in Vietnam era. Um, so there you have your pocket knife. It's got your can opener, it's got your screwdriver, it's got your awl, it's got your spear point blade. And then for a fixed blade knife in my hand is I have the USMC fighting knife. Now this is, uh, I also have a Navy Mark II, both of which are identical knives and often mistaken to be the the the, the famous K-Bar, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But they are different knives and they're made by a different company. Um, and that company is Camillus. So the yeah. childhood adventure kit <laughs> is made up of granddad's canteen, maybe some uncle or father's uh, knife that he brought back, mm-hmm. you know, his, his USMC fighting knife or Navy Mark II, depending on the era, and the pocket knife that's been issued since the 40s. And you have your camping uh-huh. loadout, right? Right. The company that made all that possible, in this case of what I'm holding in my hand, is Camillus. And I thought that they really deserved a little shot on BTB for us as a history lesson because I, I can almost guarantee that any of you real knife nuts out there can dig through that knife drawer save for whatever it is backpack and pull up a Camillus knife that when you pull it out it brings a big old smile to your face because of the memories that it held so without much further ado let's dive into the history <laughs> of the Camillus cutlery company <clears throat> this of course is taken from my favorite source of knife history, other than word of mouth. I do like this because it's written down, but Wikipedia. So uh, give them your 10 bucks because they need it. The Camillus Cutlery Company was one of the oldest knife manufacturers in the United States as its roots date back to 1876. That's quite a lot. There were pirates, and then there was Camillus. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's basically how it worked out. (laughs) (laughs) East India Trading Company or West India Trading Company, and then Camillus Pocket Knife. Yeah. Yeah. The company produced millions of knives until it fled for bankruptcy in 2007. Filed, I'm sorry, filed for bankruptcy in 2007, which is a sad day. We were just discussing Mm. this. Uh, Due to fierce overseas competition and uh, arguably bad business skills. Its brand name and intellectual property rights were purchased by Acme United Corporation, which relaunched the Camillus brand in May 2009 using modern materials. Good move. Yeah, and so which is kind of cool, right? At least yep. they kept the name alive. Oh yeah. Now Adolf Adolf Caster, the fourteen-year-old Adolf Caster, eighteen fifty-six to nineteen forty-six. Oh, he got a good life on him. Yeah. Many years. Yeah. Son of a Jewish family from Wattenheim, Germany, immigrated to New York in eighteen seventy, where he started to work for his uncle Aaron Caster in his hardware supply business, Bodenheim Meyer and Company. He was first put in charge of cow chains, but gradually worked his way up to the firearms and cutlery department. Well, all newbies start at the cow chains, of course. <laughs> so, I wish I had started at the cow yeah, chains. I, I was sweeping floors. I don't even know what cow chains... I, I'm sorry, forgive my ranch ignorance, you know what I mean? And I've, I've done stuff on farms, but I have no idea what a cow chain is or why that would be the entry-level position for a young child working at a hardware store. But at least he made it to the firearms cutlery department. Right. In, 19, in 1873, Bodenheim Meyer & Company lost one of its founders 
and restructured as Meyer and Castor. Due to poor sales figures, Meyer and Castor had to close doors September of 1876. Only a few weeks later, Adolf Castor started his own company, Adolf Castor and Brothers, on Canal Street in New York City, where he imported and distributed German-made knives. In 1897, when when the Dingley Tariff was enacted, the knives became too expensive to import. The only solution Castor saw was to manufacture knives domestically. Eventually, his search led him to Charles Sherwood and his small knife manufacturing business in Camillus. Sorry, guys. Interesting. Interesting. So, I mean, they started as an import business, and then he realized that he couldn't import anymore, and he started making domestic. It was cheaper to make them locally than it was to... Right. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. With Adolf Castor in the driver's seat, the company started to expand. They bought new machinery, such as steam-driven drop-forge hammers and fly presses, and they adopted new techniques like using alumina grinding wheels, which I'm assuming is like aluminum oxide. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, By 1910, the Camillus Cutlery Company was producing close to a million knives a year and had about 200 employees. That is business expansion. Oh, absolutely. Many of the employees were German immigrants. The company even built a dormitory to house its German workers. Wow. And so they brought kind of the technology and um, craftsmanship from Europe, mm-hmm. brought them over, put them up, and then put them to work. Oh, yeah, you know, for sure. Yeah. 1914 to 1945, during World War One, Camilla shifted production to support the Allied forces. The company also manufactured marlin spikes, which are a rope-working tool for mm-hmm. the, those of you who don't know. They use them for uh, knot work, especially nautical not or not work it's yeah. typically a sailor's thing um surgical scalpels and a folding knife spoon combination for the red cross in those years well, that's cool yeah huh. in the 1920s the knife manufacturer introduced stainless steel to its production and started making collectible character knives which honored famous people such as george washington babe ruth and buck rogers it also became <laughs> there's three very different yeah. people <laughs> such people as george washington babe ruth and buck rogers right yeah. <laughs> Um, it also began manufacturing private label products for Sears, Craftsman, Woolworth, and many others. During World mm. War II, Camilla shipped more than 13 million knives of various styles to the Allied troops. In 1942, the U.S. Marine Corps officers Colonel John M. Davis and Major Howard E. America, working <laughs> wow, working <laughs> in conjunction with the cutlery technicians at Camillus, developed the K-Bar Fighting Utility Knife. Nice. So think about that. <clears throat> so now all of a sudden you're kind of seeing this relationship between Camillus and K-Bar. And so mm-hmm. not necessarily a competitiveness, but more like a family relationship. Right. B- a business relationship, family relationship, hand in hand. That little nugget yep. that mm-hmm. I just dropped on you guys, I want that to be a collectible card in your Rolodex because right. later on as we discuss more things, you'll see how all the New York companies kind of mesh together. But that is a little clue that we're dropping right now. So the technicians, just to recap, the technicians at Camillus developed the K-Bar fighting utility knife. After extensive trials, the K-Bar prototype was recommended for adoption and Camillus was awarded the first contract to produce the K-Bar for the Marine Corps. Camillus made more K-Bars than any other knife manufacturer producing the model during World War II. During the war, Camillus also made the M3 fighting knives, which you guys are experts on, thanks to, I think, like two episodes ago, History Second. (laughs) Took care of that. (laughs) The M4 bayonets and many other utility knives for the U.S. forces, including machetes, multi-blade utility knives, TL-TAC-29 signal core pocket knives for uh, signalmen, electricians mates, and linesmen and combination knife marlin spike pocket knives for use by U.S. Navy in cutting and splicing lines. Nice. All right, so that's 1914 through 1945. Jump to 1946 through 
2005. This is a long bar on the timeline. <laughs> After World War II, Camillus was quick to shift back to civilian production and it introduced many new products. And in 1947, Camillus began manufacturing a full line of official folding knives. Ready? We touched on this in the introduction for the Boy Scouts of America. During Excellent. the Vietnam War, Camillus again manufactured a large number of knives for the armed forces. For instance, a pilot survival knife, a UMC K-Bar combat knife, and a four-bladed utility knife. After the Vietnam War, the company sounds familiar, right? Yep. After the Vietnam War, the company continued its growth by adding more new pieces to their already wide product range. In the 1960s, Camillus was sold to the Bear family of New York City. More New York ties yep. in the cutlery industry. <laughs> in 91, Camillus acquired Western Cutlery Company, which I think there's a lot of promise for a history segment on Western. Oh, yeah, um, sure. This Boulder, Colorado company had been making knives since 1896. In 2001, Camillus collaborated with custom knife maker Jerry Fisk, the only knife maker to be declared a living national treasure, to produce a Bowie knife. That same year, Camillus began a partnership with the custom knife maker Daryl Ralph to produce a line of titanium-framed tactical folding knives. Since the turn of the century, Camillus Cutlery saw its revenue decline due to... St oh, I'm sorry. I went back a page. <laughs> or did I? No. No, no I didn't. No, okay. no, that's that. That's Since that. the turn of the century, Camillus Cutlery <laughs> saw its revenue decline due to stiff overseas competition and alleged poor management practices. As a result, employees implemented a four-day work week after the normal factory shut down at Christmas of 2005. It's actually kind of a sad story that we're not going to get into unless this delves into it. Uh, a few months later, Camillus management proposed large wage and benefit cuts. Workers didn't agree, and the company was subject to a months-long strike. In response, management locked the workers out for several months. In November of 2006, the striking employees ultimately accepted the original contract offer, but the company only retained 15 of the 78 union members and laid off the rest. The lockout ultimately took its toll on Camillus as customers dried up, and the company subsequently filed for bankruptcy and closed its doors on February 28, 2007. On September 18, 2007, the product brand names and intellectual property of the company were acquired by the Acme United Corporation in a bankruptcy auction for $200,000. Oh, man, if I had known that it was that much. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that, you know, between us, we could have scraped together that. <laughs> over over a century worth of innovation designs and production yeah. purchased for $200,000. Oh, I mean, my that's goodness. cheaper than most houses. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But that's, that's nuts. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> <laughs> after effects from the Halloween party, I apologize. Uh, after the bankruptcy, the original Camillus factory remained empty until it was partly destroyed by fire on February 11, 2013. Ooh. The buildings were undergoing conversion to medical offices when a spark caught one of the walls on fire. Oh, man, that yeah, sucks. Yeah, that's a, that's a drag. <clears throat> uh, Camillus as Acme United brand. In May 2009, Acme United relaunched Camillus at the 2009 National Hardware Show in Las Vegas. The traditional Camillus knives were almost entirely replaced by new modern knives with durable handles and titanium carbonitride bonded blades. In December 2011, Acme United signed an agreement with Les Stroud to build and sell Camillus survival knives and tools co-designed and promoted by the outdoor adventurer known from the TV series Survivor Man. The Les Stroud signature line was launched in Las Vegas at the 2012 SHOT Show and consisted of four knives. Since then, Les Stroud line has grown to dozens of knives, tools, and first aid kits. I actually didn't know that. I didn't know there was a Camillus Les Stroud line. Oh. Did you know that? No, no. No, oh, I, honestly, I, I, I honestly did not know that. I, I want to no say clue. that I did because I've seen 
Because because now that I'm putting it together, the times that I've been in Ewa yeah, and seen it, I can it, picture the blister yeah. pack with his face, oh, sure. maybe in green. But yeah. I don't think I paid enough attention to it because I, I well, didn't realize it was growing. That well, I, I think I think what happened in my mind when I saw it was I'm like I'm like well Gerber has bear grills so so can be exactly <laughs> yeah. so dot so, dot dot so yeah, yeah. you know and then that's that's pretty much the end of my train of thought. Yeah, I, I so. think I'm with you on that. Yep. <laughs> In December 2011, we already covered that. Next to Les Stroud, Camillus joined forces with several several other so-called pro staffers. The pro staff team consisted of former Green Berets, expert hunters, special forces, not to be confused with Green Berets, I guess, uh, adventurers, <laughs> firemen, and survival experts. Amongst them is Grady Powell, former U.S. Army Green Beret, who is now the host of Discovery Channel's Dual Survival. Also part of the pro staff is Jared Ogden, a former Navy SEAL who is a star of the National Geographic television program Ultimate Survival Alaska. So they've got some big names attached to it. They do, yeah. yeah they wanted cool. to bring in some ringers to rejuvenate the brand, sure. I would assume. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Bring interest back. In 2013, Camillus relaunched its knives in Europe and soon attracted distributors for the Scandinavian and German-speaking countries. Nowadays, Camillus is being distributed in 12 European countries and also in Australia, South Africa, and the Philippines. The annual shooting, hunting, and outdoor trade, or shot, shot, shot. show, mm -hmm. as everybody knows it, is Camillus's biggest marketing event in the year, and has such and as such a good indicator of how well the new Camillus tools are received by distributors and consumers. Very cool. Boop. Page change. <clears throat> Camillus launched more products at the 2017 Shot Show than at any other time in history. For example, it introduced a brand new collection of five hunting knives. They are constructed with a carbonitride titanium bonded AUS-8 steel, which hmm. offers increased corrosion and adhesion resistance while holding 10 times stronger, sharper edge. Also, the new tactical knife collection was revealed, which was created in collaboration with Camillus Pro Staff members Jared Ogden and Grady Powell. So I, I'm interested to see that. That sounds yeah. kind of cool that it's... Uh, uh, got some pro staffers, as they put it. I think that's a good term. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a good good way to refer to that. Yeah, that is pretty uh, cool. And that is the end of the article, but not the end of Camilla's cutlery no. at all. Yeah, so, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Yeah, it, it, it is It is interesting to see the, the kind of decline and um, the, 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 I guess, just management and staff issues that they had. And uh, then the, the rise from the ashes. You know, yeah, basically like, of totally. that, and then and to come back strong, reinventing themselves, bringing on the pro staff—that's a great term. Yeah, absolutely for sure. Bringing on the pro staff to bring attention to the brand, and then ultimately just selling more knives that are apparently decent knives. How is carbonitride? Uh, well, I mean, it's a it's like DLC coating. It's like a, okay. any other kind of applied metal coating. Oh, okay, I didn't uh, but know. Not that. like right. a paint. It's a uh, it, like molecular bonded. Right, right. Like, you know like, what I mean? Um, PVD coating. Or, yeah, PVD, or PVD DLC, DLC, and then okay. carbonitride. Okay. Uh, or, you know, it's going to be like titanium sure. nitride, like okay. a drill bit. Gotcha. Um, so, and that's cool, and it has its benefits. I think for me, being a classic knife lover, while this is a good business move and i think it makes them marketable and under new management it's going to be subject to a lot of changes the stacked leather carbon steel and stainless steel fold you know fixed blades and folding knives that i have sitting in front of me right now as i stare at them my heart still kind of aches for that style of thing yeah. that doesn't mean that's what the majority of the population wants <laughs> it just for me i die a little bit every time i think about it now what's also interesting though yeah. is and they didn't mention it in here because it's uh, who knows why camillus had one of the biggest foundries, like their forges. Oh, really? So they made all the cold steel knives back in the day. Oh, yep. They, they mm -hmm. did all the forgings for the Carbon V U.S.-made cold steel knives. As they said, they did a lot of work for K-Bar. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were a lot of companies that had knives made 
OEM private label at the Camillus factory. So mm-hmm. it, and it, I'm surprised it didn't delve into this because that, the roots of that building that partially burned down during the renovation um, has produced so many knives of different brands and lines mm-hmm. that, it, I mean, it really has its claws entangled in the knife yeah. industry, historically speaking. Yeah, um, I remember that uh, my father had bought a number of Marvel's Blades yes. from the Camillus knife yes. factory. That's um, another at, at one. That right. auction. Um, bought a number of those. We made a number of customs out of them um, before Marbles was again acquired by Blue Ridge Knives. Right before it so, changed hands yet right, again. Right, but we uh, but we had built a number of uh, a number of those blades. That's cool. So you know what I have from the old Camillus factory? What's that? My nickel silver pins. Sure. My three thirty yeah. seconds nickel uh-huh. silver pins. I buy them by the pound. They were surplus from the old Camillus factory. And so anytime <laughs> you see a vehement knife that has nickel silver pins in its guard in yeah. the in the you know uh, hand guard. Either brass or nickel silver. Um, those nickel silver pins came from the old Camillus factory. So I get so, a little bit of so joy. So you got a vehement knife, you have a little bit of Camillus yeah, history. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. So I always thought that Very was kind of cool. cool. And when uh, I had the opportunity to buy it, I was just like, oh, this is too cool to let it just sit on a oh, shelf yeah. somewhere. So I use them. Yeah, yep, for sure. So. Well, I mean, we did great price, too, I bet. Oh, yeah. So, all right. Well, um, I think that, that does it for the history segment. That's Unless it. you got anything else. Um, And we will be back with uh, a uh, review. I think we're doing a with, review yep. this mm-hmm. week instead of tech tips. I think. Yes, sir. So we'll see. We'll see you guys in a minute with a definitive answer. What's happening, gang? Uh, sorry, I kicked the microphone because it's, you know, hashtag <laughs> professional. We're freeform here <laughs> on this show. <laughs> um, something that I want to talk about very specifically is edge geometry and what it can do for you now without getting into too many specifics you guys know that i own a knife company and we produce knives you know jim owns a knife company Mm -hmm. and and they produce knives uh we have you know we we refer to it as pasta i'm sorry there's a little dramatic pause there we refer to (laughs) it as pasta or at least i do Mm -hmm. in the sense that it's virtually the same ingredients that go into each knife you know what i mean but it's the shape that makes all the difference and just like in pasta you can have you know different shapes taste different by virtue of the way that they hold the sauce that's associated with it. Now, in this case, instead of holding sauce, we're gonna and expressing flavors, we're gonna talk about the benefits of knives in their geometry and how the same materials, even the same shaped knife, can perform so much differently from one to the other based on its edge geometry. And nobody can capture that edge geometry performance quite like our friend Tom Crine from Crine Knives. Now, you may, people can look at it and they would be like, wow, this is a very thinly ground knife and it may be a little bit different than what the market provides out there, but the benefits when it comes to that are astonishing. And you'd be amazed, especially with some of the super steels that are being used today, What even basic steels, even like mm-hmm. D2 oh, rudimentary yeah. steels. Yep. I mean, you can get so much performance out of it. And I think if people took a step back and stopped looking at what causes a knife to break, what makes a knife cut better. Yeah. And what makes a knife cut better is finer geometry. And there really is... I don't know how this commercial is going. I feel like it's, it's going good. off the rest. No, 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 I okay. like it. Yeah, no, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. A benefit to having a thinly ground blade from a performance standpoint, and with the reliability of the steels today, you'll find that you'll be able to accomplish just about anything you want with that. So if you can are lucky enough to get your hands on something that has the crine regrind stamp on it, you can be assured that one individual took the time 
to tune that grind to its optimum performance. And that individual is Mr. Tom Crine, big friend of the show, friend of mine, friend of Jim's, mm-hmm. and all around cool cat anyways. But the fact of the matter is his expertise really lies in maximizing the edge performance most not most of the time but some of the time in other manufacturers knives so when he takes that care and consideration on another manufacturer's knife and is willing to put his name on it imagine the care and consideration he takes in his very own custom made blades so i recommend checking out his facebook page which is i think crying knives crying knives Cry yeah knives. i hate to overcomplicate facebook.com slash group slash crying yeah, there you go yep. check him out yep. and you can watch his entire build process because he photo documents everything so it shows off everything from the blanking to the grinding and all that stuff and an innovator uh, i think he's a pillar of the knife industry community but you can watch that and once you finally get your hands on one you'll see exactly what i'm talking about so i recommend hitting tom up Finding a way to secure one of his knives, a very busy guy with a long backlog, but his knives do come available all the time on his Facebook group. Get your hands on one, tell him Behind the Blade podcast sent you, and then tell us how much it rocked your world having a finely ground blade that cuts like nothing else on the planet. I wish you guys the best of luck, and be sure to let him know that we sent you guys his way. And we're back. Were we supposed to clap there, or did I? Now you're good. Okay, you're no, good. We're just gonna roll with it. <clears throat> we clap in between segments to give us a noticeable visual point on the waveforms as to where right. to trim and splice. <clears throat> but I, I just I just go through and listen to the first few seconds, and I can usually find that empty spot. And right. I'm like, clip from here back, and then now stitch. Yeah, so, so sorry about that. No, no, you're good. Uh, <laughs> you're good. Today, instead of tech tips, we're gonna do another review, and I'm gonna do a review. And I promise, Jim, hold me to this. Mm-hmm. Not that you need to. It's a promise. I promise that I will take some photographs <laughs> and show you guys what we're talking about. Uh, today we are going to be reviewing my latest acquisition that I picked up from DLT Trading, the Emerson CQC Horseman. Uh, U.S. made knife. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with the Emerson line of knives, they make everything in the U.S. I think they had one multi-tool that was made overseas at one point, but uh, that's since been discontinued. And... Let's just talk a little bit about the company and about its perception. They have a very, very diehard fan base, mm-hmm. and people who have not owned or carried Emersons look at them a little bit crossways because they're not as fine a knife. And I'm going to use that word as an actual adjective, not as an opinion. They're not as fine as some knives maybe in their same price bracket mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that you know, you can see some water jet marks. Uh, lockup is a little bit late for a liner lock, this, that, and the other thing. However, people who have carried Emerson's become fans for life. And I carried one in the field for a number of years. I carried a 99 Commander for years. <laughs> and I put that knife through hell. And I, it was a very <laughs> prized possession. And when I got rid of it, I was very sad. I sold it, you know, out of necessity at one point in an effort to get some tooling or materials for the business. And sometimes you have to delve into your own collection. Um, But I am back amongst the Emerson carriers with the CQC8, and I couldn't be happier. I just think it's a killer knife, and I've been using it for all kinds of stuff since. Mm -hmm. So It's a cool knife. Yeah, let's get down to the knife itself. It's got G10 scales on it, kind of a... Texture G10. Very aggressively Mm -hmm. textured for how fine the checkering is on it. I mean, the thing just really is tacky in your hands. It really grips into your hands. Um, I'm unclear on one thing that I read in the description that Emerson started using stainless steel liners on the non-liner or non-locking side. Right, 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 right. In an attempt <clears throat> to keep costs in check. But to my eye, they both look like titanium and they're side by side. So I can't, 
Maybe it is stainless. I don't know. So, yeah, but uh, yeah, maybe they were just um, the water, kind of all water jet out to the same to the same spec. And yeah, then, and then both sandblasted in the same cabinet. Right. So yeah, yeah it's a uh, it's a tough call, but mm-hmm. I know that one side at least is titanium liner, and the other may be stainless. So I, I'm not positive on that one, just based on my visualization, what I can see. Um, the one thing about this particular knife is it is a right hand carry only even though it's got an ambidextrous thumb stud and of course the wave feature which opens upon withdrawal from your pocket Mm -hmm. it has provision for one position pocket clip yep and that is on the reverse side which would typically be the outboard side if carried in your right pocket yes so that's worth mentioning they may have left-handed versions out there but if you are southpaw which i know many of you are then make and uh inquire your dealer or manufacturer whatever it is um, before making the purchase to make sure that it does come in left-handed for you. Uh, it's got the black tee finish, which was made famous by Bob Taylor of uh, Round Eye Knife and Tool back in the day, the black tee finish. Gorgeous. And yeah. uh, it is fairly durable. Uh, I assume that it has some sort of Teflon properties to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a fairly slick, I mean, I don't know, it, it looks like DLC or powder coat, but uh, yeah, it is an applied coating and baked on to the best of my knowledge, gotcha. as opposed to like a molecular bond like PVD or something right. like that. Uh, this version in particular uses standoffs instead of a backspacer, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of interesting. And what I'm referring to there are the little pillars separating each each scale by standoff as opposed to a spacer that would be screwed in its place. Uh, I think it's nice because it, number one, lightens it. Number two, makes it easier to clean. You don't have a place for crud to Correct. collect. You can right. get a Q-tip in there and clean yep. out or just compressed air. Uh, mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. has the famous double detent so there is a second ball detent set in the obverse scale that helps retain the blade as well as the ball detent that is part of integral to the liner oh interesting yeah giving it that bias to oh, close i had no idea yeah, Let me see. So Let me newer emerson's have that older ones do not let me see i'm taking a look it's a little panel that's kind of sitting proud inside the liner, but it does actually flex the ball yep exactly down yeah there's the there's there's the there's the main one that i'm used to and there's another one. Up in the obverse scale, you'll see a little tab sticking against the blade. <laughs> you know, flashlight. Yeah, may I'm trying to look at it. Okay. I'm trying to look at it yeah. through just shadows and negative light here. <laughs> there we go. Uh, another thing that makes it well, oh, Jim inspects that. You find it? Yep. Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's kind of a cool feature, and I'm not. Oh, I see it. Yeah, entirely yeah, it sure why they did that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure they have a reason because they had to retool and do a lot of work to be able to get it there. And it's also, incidentally, guys, a good way to tell a knockoff Emerson because mo- and they are frequently knocked off. Um, a lot of them are not. They don't include that second detent. So if it's a newer knife, uh, in the you know mid to current 2000s, then it's going to have that that second ball detent, whereas the earlier ones do not. But the knockoffs of new models also do not. So. A little key ID feature to look for. Pretty cool. Um, oh, one, one thing, it's kind of a, a love-hate, <clears throat> but from a practicality standpoint, it's a love. From a visual aesthetic standpoint, it's a hate, is that they use regular drive fasteners. Yeah, so yeah no, a lot of people are against that. <laughs> no proprietary drive. It's uh, And when I say drive, I mean the interface between your screwdriver, for lack of a better term, and yeah. the screw that you're trying to drive. So instead of like a, a Torx or something that you would see on a, on a, on a different on a different maker, you see uh, you see just your regular... A Phillips and a Phillips, flathead. Phillips and a flathead, man. Yep, and, yeah. and I think that's kind of <clears throat> cool from a user standpoint because they're easy to take apart and clean and maintain. Uh, maintain. 
Uh, this particular model also looks like it's using nylon bushings uh, or Teflon mm. bushings. Nylatron, maybe. Yeah, or, probably. Yeah. Then it's black, so it's I don't black. know which oh, the then black it's probably ones are. No, I think Nylatron's white. White. That's Nylatron's it, yeah. white, so yeah. Now, for my money, I will probably go through this and replace it with uh, phosphor bronze. Yep. And, mm -hmm. and just go through and rework that. It has. Uh, it uses a stop pin as opposed to like on some of the other brands where what looks like a thumb stud acts as a stop pin. So right. it does use a stop pin at the heel of the blade. It's got some very nice jimping on the thumb ramp, which leads into the wave. The jimping, the reason I think it's nice is because, number one, it's coated over, but it's also broken. It's a little radius, yeah. so it's smoother to the touch. Yes, it's, it's not it's very not, aggressive. It's not super fine jimping, and it's not meant to be sharp. It's meant to be purchased for your thumb. Exactly. And at the same time, it's meant to not blister your thumb. Yes, yeah, yeah abs during Absolutely, use, yeah. yeah. Now, this knife in particular, the CQC8 itself, was a collaborative design between Bob Taylor and Ernest Emerson. So mm -hmm. it was based on Bob Taylor's warrior knife, which I'm a huge fan of. However, it's a very unattractive knife to some others that think it's <laughs> awesome and it was also influenced by bill moran's sts 23 which was designed in 94 for navy seals interesting the first production version of this knife was made in 2002 and it was part of a collaboration with surefire flashlights Whoa. so there's a lot of hands yeah. in this one pie you huh, know in interesting qc8 itself and to me because of its kind of it's a clipped point with a swept spine and a very plain straight edge. So to me, it is the ultimate utilitarian and very user-friendly. Uh, it is the pri the secondary bevel, uh, which you guys should be spun up on. We talked about this last time. The secondary or edge bevel is ground on one side only, which is fairly typical for Emerson's. Now, they do gotcha. have V-grind variants and stuff like that. Yeah. But on most Emerson's, you'll see the edge bevel on the obverse side. And you'll have just kind of a buffed line to deburr on the backside. Gotcha. Which is the yeah. case in this one. But I tell you, it cuts really well. It, it came very sharp from the factory, which I always like and I always look for. The other thing I like about these is they're serialized. Which oh, is are they really? Which on our knives. Yeah, look under the thumb stud there. The <coughs> thumb disc, rather. Let me see. Oh, yeah. Forty-two ninety-nine. Yep. So that one's mine. That gotcha. one is mine. Gotcha. And there is not another forty-two ninety-nine. No. Right. Anywhere. Gotcha. Yep. Cool. So they serialize yeah. their knives, which is cool for collectability reasons and identification reasons. So mm -hmm. I think that's pretty cool. Um, but I definitely, man, there's just there's something about these, and it's like I said, it's not the finest knife, but there is no doubt an appeal and a utilitarian appeal, a visual appeal and utilitarian appeal to all of the Emerson line knives. And this left me just glowing when I uh, took it out of the box. <laughs> the box came with a huh? sticker and a little brochure and, and a nice sure. box that everyone, the black and red box everyone's used to seeing from these guys. Um, the thumb disc is applied with a Phillips head screwdriver. <laughs> uh, I have a titanium thumb disc back at the shop with a little Torx head or hex head right. that I'll probably replace this with just to church it up. Sure. And I know that Steel Flame makes a huge assortment of accessories. Of aftermarket stuff for Emerson. Yeah, pocket clips and, and right. you name it that are pretty heavily embellished. Now, to me, I think a lot of that stuff detracts from the raw utilitarianism of these blades, mm -hmm. but they're very easy to church up if you want a fancier version. Sure. Yeah, standard standard screw sizes, I imagine. And, uh, yep, 256. And 256. Yep. yep. Very cool. Easy easy to customize. Yep. And so mm -hmm. I, I recommend anybody who is unaware of uh, Ernie's work, go check out the company. They'll probably have a blade profile that you'll like because their, their line is so vast. And being an owner of this knife in particular, an owner of many even more expensive pocket folders. Mm -hmm. I still really, really like this knife. And yeah. the fact of the matter is, we talk about switchblades a lot, but there is nothing faster than an, an Emerson waved <laughs> knife, whether it be a Spyderco or an Emerson proper. <laughs> there is nothing faster out of the pocket 
than a, a, a manually deploying knife with the wave feature. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, it's just lightning fast. And so <laughs> I recommend you guys go check them out, make your own opinions. But I can tell you that I'm very excited to have this. And I'm also, as I alluded to in the introductor, in, introduction segment, I'm very eager to dive into this through custom maker's eyes and make it suit my personal taste. Gotcha. And so that would be a lot of fun. I, I want to dive into this project a lot. So I've just been waiting for a couple scratches on the blade before I feel bad about taking the scales to the grinder. So <laughs> um, at that point, I will definitely know if it's titanium or stainless. Once oh, yeah. Once you start grinding it, it huh, one will spark regular, the other one will spark white. white. Yeah, very, very white. <laughs> and this fire that I started in my shop. <laughs> uh, what, what, what is Emerson's website? Can you pull that up on the Chromebook? Looking it up right now. You, it's emersonknives.com. Emersonknives.com. How easy is that? Mm -hmm. You can always see them at the Blade Show. Um, I know that they have a hell of a following on the usual suspects network. So if you want to get really deep into it and be a around like-minded people who are also obsessed with Emerson, I would go check out the USN mm -hmm. and uh, and their website. So yes. hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, I really don't have any critiques on this knife other than some visual cues that may not necessarily align with my personal visual taste. So I'm going to leave those out because they're so subjective. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, maybe... If you can find one on the secondary market, pick one up for inexpensive and see if you like it. And I guarantee you'll become an Emerson owner for life after that. So, uh, yeah. So thanks for listening to my quick review on this. And we will be back in just a moment with some Q&A's. What's happening, gang? Matt Martin here. I want to talk to you about our friends, Genda Industries purveyors of fine abrasives of any scope you can think of everything from look i'm gonna break topic real quick it, these companies a lot of times will tell us you know hey what's your newest latest you know product that you want to showcase we'll ask them and they'll tell us you know our sponsors and and then we make sure that we relay that information to you guys so you get first crack at it kind of insider knowledge of what's upcoming but in this case I'm going to break form and I'm going to tell you one of the products that I really like from Genda Industries that Mr. Tom Blodgett has never even mentioned me talk about. So, <laughs> but this is first-hand experience. I met them at Blade, uh, Blade 2017. Yeah, they were they were literally right next to you. Yeah, they were our, our next door neighbor. Yeah, no, next door yeah. neighbor. Yep, yeah, yeah uh, in Boots. And I was looking over their table and look, we talk a lot about end user stuff, the sharpening stones, the stuff for the KMEs, the edge pros, the wicked sharps. We talk about all the stuff that they make, the nano cloth. But the fact of the matter is, is one of my favorite Genda products that I use on a regular basis as a custom knife maker. So I'm going to give you guys a second to turn off the grinders trench crew and listen to this is their abrasive sticks. Mm -hmm. Those abrasive sticks are such a lifesaver. If you're a custom knife maker and you've ever done a hand rub finish, you'll notice that, damn it, somewhere in there is that 120 grit scratch that I just cannot get <laughs> And it's to. always in the middle of the plunge line. Yes, absolutely. You know? And you're like, how do I it's get like, to I this? don't want to mess up my grind trying to get into there. So they make a product that are these shapeable, like in the way that you would shape a lathe cutter. You can just grind them to shape on your you know, belt grinder. I actually use my disc grinder to shape mine, but they make these abrasive sticks that they wear down but not wear out. So you're always getting new abrasive, and all you need is water to sweep the filings, the dust, the, uh, what would you call that? Swarf. The swarf. The swarf. This, this, that's what I was going to say is the swarf. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to wash the swarf away, and you have a brand new abrasive surface. And what that does, it allows you to focus on those trouble spots, whether it's in the plunge, whether it's on a flat, and there's just that one scratch you want to get out. So what I do is I go in with those abrasive sticks, and they range, I think the coarsest one I have, maybe not the coarsest one they carry, but the coarsest one I have is 220 grit. 
it. And then I think I have up to the finest one I own, again, maybe not the finest they carry, is 1,000 grit. That's yeah. And And so I'll go from 220 to 1,000 grit, depending on what I need to get out, and then I take that sandpaper back over and homogenize that surface. But as a custom maker, I cannot sing enough praises about these little abrasive sticks. And looks, guys, this was before they sponsored the show. I bought these cash money at the booth next to me. He even tried to give me a very good discount on it. And I said, no, let me support your company. And so so I did that, and I, I purchased them, and now I keep them in a little, like, olive jar. And they're all stacked up right there, right next to my hand stand, standing station. And it's I, part of the kit. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, I use them all the time. So if you guys do hand rub finishes, or you're looking to get that kind of premium elite finish out of your knives, and you've been using sandpaper to death and you just want something to accelerate it but maybe not something mechanized that runs the risk of corrupting your grinds or plunge lines or something like that i highly recommend getting the agenda industries abrasive sticks and they come in a myriad of grits and you'll kind of settle into what your sweet ones are mine are like the 500 and thousand and 220 yeah. is is pretty hardcore and i'll use that when the need arises but definitely check them out jim where can they find agenda industry products you can find agenda industry products from mr tom Blodgett at www.gendaindustries.com J-E-N-D-E industries.com There you go. And if you guys have any questions about it, feel free to hit up Tom because you are hard-pressed to find somebody more passionate about the abrasives industry than Tom Blodgett himself. I mean, he takes it as a science, as a magic, as a way of life. Just stand by. You may get a long-winded response that you're going to have to decipher and get to all the technology you just laid on your nugget. <laughs> but it's but all true and correct. Yeah, and it so, all checks out. Yeah. So it's amazing. I definitely recommend checking them out. And specifically to our knife-making friends out there in the trenches, check out the abrasive sticks. It is a complete game-changer. And... Do not forget to tell them Behind the Blade Podcast sent you. All right, and we're back for probably my favorite segment. Your Q&As. <laughs> All right, we had posted a Q&A box uh, a few days ago, and we are we're on top of it at this point. All right, first question. Jer Bear, is there one style of blade you just have not been able to, to do to correctly? If... <clears throat> Let's start that one yeah, over that, again. Yeah, let me uh, <clears throat> let me uh, take to my take to my my voice today. <clears throat> Is there one style of blade you just have not been able to do correctly, and what was it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Blades. I'm gonna I'm gonna sound kind of like a jerk, but I'll qualify it. No, there. Are, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> okay elaborate elaborate go ahead i have not i mean other than when i was learning or something like that but as an experienced knife maker there has not been a blade that i have set out to grind that i couldn't now Mm -hmm. let's say if i'm doing uh 15 customs of a model right you know what i mean Mm -hmm. as opposed to b model so 15 customs of a model does every single one come out like exactly as good as the best one in that batch no i mean they're obviously going to be all of uh equal quality and finish and stuff like that but sometimes the grind got a little bit higher than i wanted it to or something like that right but there hasn't been whether it's like a double hollow dagger, whether it's like a monster recurve, or even like a what some people call a nightmare grind, we call it a compound grind where it's hollow to convex. Mm-hmm. And so, no. But that's also like to my standard. Does right. that mean it's absolutely perfect? Absolutely not. I mean, you can take micrometers to anything and find flaws. I mean, save 
uh, maybe a palm full of makers. Mm-hmm. However, I will also say this. The Loveless style handle. Yeah. I have the hardest time with. <laughs> it takes a slide rule, planetary alignment. It takes, and I'm not talking about tapering the tang. I'm not even talking about shaping the palm swell. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the silhouette of a Loveless handle is absolute Sanskrit to me. And I love it so much, uh-huh. and I cannot get it at any. I, I just. I try so hard and I somehow <laughs> miss it and I don't understand why the geometry eludes me so hard. Jim, is there any knife play that you have had a hard time with or that you've mm-hmm. attempted maybe more than once and had a, and just couldn't couldn't get it to jive? Several, Matt. Sorry. <laughs> <He's> all, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, um the, the my I have a little trick with this though. Every time I get something that's not correct, I don't tell anybody about it. There you go. That's a good trick. <laughs> yeah, I don't tell anybody about it. Um but no, I have a I have a stack of designs that I could not get right. And it's bigger than the stack of designs that I am satisfied with. (laughs) (laughs) So, so the ones that I show people are the ones out of the ones that I'm satisfied with. Right. And the other ones, I'm just like, I cannot get the proportions right on this. Something always looks wrong with this, no matter what I do. So I'm going to put it aside for six or seven months and come back to it when I get a chance. Put a pin in that one. Yeah. Go back to it. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, the, uh, so, so on the, 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 the converse of that though, the, the Marauder that I designed, yeah. that was probably the first design that I sat down and drew out and went, yeah, that's good. And then made it. And then made it. To the picture. Right. To right. The picture. Yeah. Money. Um, so, so I've had the opposite of that, um, way less than I have uh, as, as per, as per your question. There you go. Here. Oh, one, one, so, one caveat to that is, yeah. uh, uh, the SOG blade and SOG yeah. profile took me the longest to be able to get the blade where I wananted it right right and still, still look like the sog there were back the oh sog my and God. The if you look at our correct. early sogs yeah I mean they were kind of I mean they came out nice and they were cool blades and they were inspired but to my eye there was always something a little bit wrong right with them. no I totally and understand. I just didn't yeah. have the right rake to them or something like that and so it did take me if you'd have asked me this question like two three years ago mm-hmm. I'd have been like sog blade <laughs> <laughs> gotcha yeah. well I'm glad we were able to nail that down yep <laughs> so, there you go all right next question who is your favorite? This comes from Justin Medley. Who is your favorite production knife company? Price ranges between twenty five and two fifty. That's a really good question. Ooh, do I have to have just one? No, I mean I think there's, <laughs> I think it's worth that we could throw a couple out. So mm-hmm. if you were to say, f- not your company, right? Of course, fixed blade knives. Mm-hmm. Ooh, well, let's and then we'll do yeah. folders and fixed blades. It's all right. Uh, yeah, fixed blades is really tough for me. I really don't look at many fixed blade knives i mean oh. outside outside of the custom world oh, no, you know see, or, 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 or I, I small production world, yeah. yeah yeah i try to I try to stay out of it i mean there's lots of mm. custom makers who make phenomenal fixed blades but they're but obviously it's, it's not pertaining to the question because it's a production company so folders folders man i really like spiderco i really like zts um those i mean that's my two. Oh right yeah, yeah as far uh, as right. folders go I, I would say i'm trying to think of i mean i have some like higher end, I mean moderately higher end mm-hmm. folders like Chris Reeve and stuff like that. But that, I don't, yeah. I don't, I wouldn't consider them production or two fifty. And so right, right, exactly. But so, I, I think ZT, I think ZT takes it for the tank knives, you yeah, know, tough knives, cool yep. materials, yeah, like the Rexford designs and the the Sinkoviches and yeah, especially yeah. the Sinkoviches yep. mm-hmm. uh, and even the, the Ken Onions and stuff like that. Right. Um, and then Spiderco for sheer practicality of ease of use, safety, mm-hmm. quality blade steels, and lightweight. So, I mean, those two would be my folder choices. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, those are definitely my folder choices as well. And that's honestly just 
the best ones. I think Benchmade would probably be a third option for me in there. A Benchmade, um, their fit and finish is so awesome. Yeah. Uh, their designs, unfortunately, just don't speak to me that they, much. Uh, no, I, I get kind of the same way. It's uh, it's. I've only seen maybe one or two designs from Benchmade that I was just like, yes, good job. Yeah, and, well, and that, <laughs> it's so subjective <laughs> yeah, because their yeah. execution is so on point that just because mm -hmm. their designs don't speak to my inner knife enthusiast, doesn't mean that they're bad designs even. You know what I mean? Because uh, well, a lot of people like them. No, a lot of people like them. A lot of people really like Benchmades. Um, and there and there's and and to, and to your point, Matt, I've never seen a Benchmade that was subpar. It's no, always right. been an excellent knife. Yep. It's just that it, it's just the the lines and the style don't really appeal to me. The ones that did was uh, the the Benchmade Valet, was just like this little gentleman's folder. Oh, that's nice. And it came out three four years ago okay. at this point, and and that was that was probably the first Benchmade that I ever looked at and went, wow, I want one of those. That's cool. Oh, that brings up an interesting yep. point All on right. uh, favorite <clears throat> knife companies. If we were to look at. Uh, slip joints. It had to be Great Eastern, yeah, Great, yeah, for and, sure. and all their mm -hmm. subsidiaries. You know, GEC, Tidiut, and uh, uh, Northfield. Northfield XL or yeah, whatever, UNXL, UNXL, yeah, unexcelled, if you will. Yeah. yeah, no, no, absolutely for slip joints. Um, Great Eastern has it nailed down. They've got the best. They've got the best slip joints that there are. I, I, mean, I mean, production so, slip joints. Production right? slip yeah, joints. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like obviously there's <clears> custom <throat> makers out there that do I, phenomenal work. And I like their designs better than <clears throat> Shat and Morgan. Again, that's very yep. subjective, and I feel mm -hmm. like some of the Shat and Morgan stuff has got superior fit and finish. But I just Great Eastern does it for me so yep uh fixed blades did, so oh man I, on I, this? I i don't know <clears> if <throat> i have one i mean honestly i mean there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh south african knife makers that that we can probably talk production. about but, but those we're, are production I mean, we're talking production yeah, so I mean, yeah. well uh, you, you know why I, I know why i just i just figured it out i only look at those knives because they're all better than mine what do you mean? They're, they're they're better they're better than Bark Rivers, and I'm trying to like mentally attain oh, a higher standard. So that's what I'm paying attention gotcha. to in, in fixed blades. So if you're, when you're talking other people's production fixed blades, I'm like the record scratching. Uh, right. I <laughs> don't know about many of them. So <laughs> I uh, LT Wright, I think would be a safe bet. Then I think that's comp. I don't think that's. I mean, I yes, but I don't think yeah. that's production knives. So let me okay, be my example. Gotcha. Okay, so, yeah, sure, sure. so if I was gonna go with my absolute favorite, right. 90s white box uh -huh. sog specialty knives so like the desert <laughs> okay. dagger the yeah, agency yeah. the government like the sog <laughs> bowies and all that stuff there's tiger shark mm -hmm. so that the pentagon that would be my all-time favorite company now starting from the low end and working up ontario has got killer designs mm -hmm. very comfortable handles typically a pretty nice sheath right. like all their sp series and all that stuff so i really like ontario knives mm -hmm. I would say the next up from that. All right, I know some of you guys are going to turn your radio off right now. Vehement knives. No, just cold steel. Cold? No, that, why, why? I like I cold steel I, I knives. Don't, I don't think people will, will will turn their will turn their radios off to that. I mean, that SRK is a nice knife. I exactly. Yeah. And I I love. I, I mean, there's just some cold steel fixed blades that are timeless, mm -hmm. classic, and they were you know, Lynn really brought a lot to the table with his American Tano mm -hmm. design at one point. Don't forget about Falcon even. See that was gonna right. be my and that top. Was, end. That was gonna be your yeah. And that was so, gonna be your top one. Yes, and I totally forgot about it because yep. I'm just I'm 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 off in space on this one. But no, Fault and Evens in there too. I, yeah, I would say that's probably yep. my my top end production fixed blade favorite. I'm going through. I mean, you know, Randall, but yeah, but I don't carry my Randalls. You know, and I'm not a safe queen guy. Yeah, I'm just. <laughs> I carried a 1.6 and used it for a while, a Model 1 6-inch, mm -hmm. but my 14 and stuff, 
I just don't think they would work for my camping slash bush needs. Even my 18. I just don't. I like it. I enjoy it. I get a lot of pleasure out of it. But it's not one that I'm like, I'm going to totally use this. Because I feel uncomfortable using it. To me, I think they're actually superiorly superior performing knives. Yeah. So gotcha. But, yeah. So yeah, I think mm-hmm. Ontario Cold Steel and Falkneven. Yep. Yeah. I, I would agree. I would agree. I got to meet the guys at Falkneven. Really? Not none of the owners of the company. Uh, but it was there. It was like I. It was obviously a sales team. Oh, Falkneven okay. Gotcha. At yeah. Iwa in yeah, Germany. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And they were they were super cool to us. They were like, "We love Bark River. Yeah. You guys are awesome." I'm that's like, "Hey, cool. thanks." And they're they're like, "Here, here, here's an idea." For your show next year, here's some band-aids. And they gave us like a handful of oh, fault nice. even band-aids That's with cool. fault and even screen printed on them. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, they were super cool to us. Knife Kits does that. They send band-aids yeah. in every box we order from them. Like, <laughs> it says knifekits.com on it. Yeah, it says knifekits.com <laughs> on band-aids. I thought that was pretty clever. Uh-huh. That's cool. So, yeah, that was cool. So yeah, so those are those are my top uh I mean Buck makes a decent knife too, and the thing a fixed or folder the thing that to remember with buck knives is they may not be using super steels although sometimes they do mm-hmm. um yeah. but their heat treat gets more out of what would be perceived as lesser steels mm-hmm. than most people can get out of homebrew super steel heat treat and even heat in their I, basement i, I so, totally agree yeah. like they can get 420 <clears throat> hc to rock yeah i mean just rock <laughs> it holds an edge it's tough you know what i mean it's corrosion <laughs> resistant I mean, uh, so that's and it's easy to sharpen you know mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Buck right. Knives is pretty high up there too. So all right, thanks all right. for the question, Justin. Yeah, thank you, Justin. Pierce Walker Johnstone Chet Taylor. I bet you didn't know I knew your middle name, did you, Pierce? Uh, <laughs> what is your <laughs> what is your Grail knife, Jeb? This my, is a good one. My Grail knife. You know what it is. You know what it is, and this sounds totally self-serving, and it's it's because I'm never I'm not one that's in a pursuit of a thing. I'm in pursuit of a skill. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. So my Grail knife is a hand f- is not necessarily forged, but a handmade, perfectly fit katana. Well, How's that? As long as you set your standards. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm like, well, I, well, I'm setting standards. Yeah. I mean, it's like, but I, but I, I, I absolutely want to do the whole thing. Oh, you want to do it? I want to make it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I want. I want to. Not necessarily. Even 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 if even if it's not really just forging it, just like getting the regular blank and and quenching it so the pearl light causes the bend in the spine yeah, and everything you get that and, story to and, it, and, yeah. you, and you get the you get you get the bend to it i mean like i think i think that's really more where my pursuit lies as far as a grail knife goes i'm entirely capable of going that knife's awesome i would love to have it yeah it's just not a focus of mine i guess does that make sense yeah i mean it's like i, I know it sounds totally self-serving and probably a little lame Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, but I mean, it is. But I, well, okay, and here's just a little bit of insight, guys, is mm-hmm. we've talked about this before. Jim has been in the knife industry pretty much from birth, and you started working there at 13 or something like that, not uh, to violate well, any child labor laws. No, no, it's, actually, it's, for family, it's different. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. It <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. yeah. Um, for, uh, I was stacking blackjack spacers and the first, and leather stack blackjack knives when I was 10. Okay, when you were 10. I right. was 10. So, so. Okay, so since 10 years of age, Jim, and I'm going to talk about you like you're not sitting four feet away from me. Okay, Matt. From 10 years old, <laughs> uh, he's been working in the production slash semi-production you know, mm-hmm. niche of the cutlery industry. However, even though you've dipped your toe in it, you're kind of just now endeavoring into custom making. Yeah. So you kind of got eye of the tiger right now where you're like, I don't care what else is out there. I just want to know what I'm capable of. You know what I mean? And how far I can push my, my talents and skills yeah, and what you can that. learn. Yeah. So, I mean, it's if we were to ask this a year ago 
and be like, hey, Jim, what's your favorite knife? You'd be like, oh, it's this that you just saw and you're super mm-hmm. ate up over, you know what I mean? You're ready to go. But right mm-hmm. now, because you're kind of on the path and in this pursuit of improving your own skills, mm-hmm. that's all you can see. That, which that, is that really is. Yeah, which that is really great. is. I got a little bit of tunnel, tunnel vision about it. Totally true. What about yours? <sighs> Grail knife. Okay, so I have two of them. Okay. I have the Randall 18. Which was a grail knife for me for a long, long time. Obtained. Achievement Obtained. unlocked. Yeah, box checked. Mm-hmm. I have, this is a weird one, my Spyderco Shemp Persian. The earlier oh, yeah. Shemp Persian with the stainless bolsters. Mm-hmm. To me, I still consider that a grail knife. Um, very excited to have that. Uh, I would say now, and you guys are going to laugh because this is lame. <laughs> okay, buckle up, buttercups. I have a handful. There's like 10 knives out there that I've even owned before that I wish I never would have let go or I will get at some other point um, when the opportunity presents itself. That's a, a Gerber Mark II. Yeah. A, All right. Like a pre-80s Gerber Mark II, you know, mm-hmm. kind of brown sheath, cat tongue style. Like okay. I really love, but all Gerber Mark IIs are cool to me, but I mean, that would be a grail. Um, a well-done Applegate Fairbane combat dagger with the bend and everything. That's the yeah. Mark II has the bend. Mark II has the bend. Yeah, the, the Applegate yeah. Fairbane combat dagger does not have the bend. It's got the uh, double quillion hilt that's kind of turned up. Okay. It's got the adjustable sliding weights inside of the handle. No, oh, that's I've, right. Yeah. I've seen some from Boker, which were great. Uh-huh. I, the one I had had kind of a cracked polymer handle, which kind of dusted me on it. But mm-hmm. I mean, they're just a cool fighting knife overall it's, it's super I, sleek i think they're just sleek, cool yeah. so th- I, yeah. that would be one the sog desert dagger is one that i've had and let through my fingers too many times they're all daggers now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's really weird i love the way they look too i get uh, it <laughs> a beck mm-hmm. wsk a beck wsk it's a tracker it is the tracker it is the it's i'm sorry guys it's the tracker um it's a tracker it's it's the tracker it is the like that's the original. Yeah. That's what was in the movie, The Hunted, and all that stuff. The Beck Dub. They're like three grand. I mean, they fetched some buku yeah. bucks. And now he stamps tracker in the side of the knife. All right, trench crew, hang right, on right, a second. Right. We're gonna go on a tangent. Oh my goodness, here it is. All right, it's a huge tracker so, too. It's not with like, like a little TM tracker. next to it or yeah, something like that. Yeah, there's a TM. Yeah. And, uh, a hole. <laughs> all right, trench crew, turn down your grinders. Turn off the compressor. <laughs> Listen up for just a second. This is one man's opinion. Jim, you may agree with me, you may not. <laughs> okay. But please, for God's sake, if you ever feel like you need to put your logo and a bunch of garbage on the side of your knife, have a beer, have a cigarette, and don't do it. Because <laughs> in my opinion, when Sog jumped the shark, so to speak, mm-hmm. they kind of went full-blown. and I, Not full-blown. I wish everybody success, right? But when they changed their, their image, their paradigm, mm-hmm. is when they started putting SOG on everything. <laughs> they, were, they had knives, limited edition knives that yeah. said SOG like 200 times. Laser etched all over the blade, covering the entire blade. And I was like, what is this? I mean, I love our brand. I love yeah, our logo. But you know you what I mean? want it all over your blade. No, I don't even sizes. put our logo yeah. on the knife. You know yeah. what I mean? We just do like some simple understated stuff. So uh, when David Beck put Tracker... On the side, and look, it's got a face only a mom can love, but I love the knife. I love the look of it. I loved loved it since The Hunted came out in the 90s, you know. But when he put the huge tracker word on the side, I was like, eh. I'm out. I don't want to. I don't want to touch it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and so, like stuff like that. Don't be tacky. I guess is my point that I'm trying to get to across the trench crew. Uh, you can have all the talent in the world. Please don't be tacky. In fact. I was surprised that the Microtech branding doesn't bother me because it really takes up the whole 
obverse side of the blade. Well, it's done. It's done kind of tastefully. It and is, it, and it's, it's thin, and it's not. It's not obstructive. It's like to look at banknote engraved. Like right. it looks really nice, yeah. and so. Surprisingly, that doesn't bother me. There's so much. a way to do it, other than I mean, I mean, and again, I'm not talking smack, but the tracker is very obviously metal pounded in yes. by some guy named Hank in a barn, right? <laughs> and and, and, and yeah. it's just kind of, I don't know, I don't know. I definitely yep. don't want anybody to think that I'm talking smack about it because I'm not at all. It's just, I think just it's do tacky. It. Just no, do without I, it. I'm totally fine yeah. saying that. Go uh, for it. You know what? Dave but, wasn't going to send me a free one anyways, so I'm totally <laughs> fine in saying I wish you yeah. didn't put tracker on the side of the blade. Right. Um, I would say for like a Robert Parrish. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Robert Parrish knife. That would be on the Robert high end. Uh, Jimmy Lyle Rambo knife. Because yep, who doesn't want a real Rambo knife? That that one's almost up there with Randall's that should be in your collection. Yeah. Uh, what would be like the holy almighty, like, oh my. And man, I've had that experience so many times. Like, I'm a knife-aholic. Like, mm-hmm. I have a problem. Like, a real problem. So, uh you get that rush. You get that feeling when you're like, I can't believe I'm holding this. That's how I felt when I opened my 18 <laughs> or when I bought my uh, 14. and. <laughs> Um, those are random models, by the way. Um, yeah, I would I would say somewhere along those lines, a you know, I don't even know if I should talk about this on air. I'm going to. <laughs> okay. It's okay, it's an interesting <laughs> anecdote, guys. No, you Who just cares? piqued everybody's interest. Who cares? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. your your dad tried to give me the sog knife. Which one? The, the original one. The original? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I told him I'll take it. After we bury him, I said, okay. <laughs> oh, I can wait that long because right. he kept trying to give it to me. And I was like, nope, that one's yours. Hang on to it. I'll take it when you're in the dirt, old man. That's what I told him. I, I wasn't very polite about it. <laughs> He's trying to give me this very heartfelt gift. And I said, no, you hang on to it. So, again, it kind of goes back to our stories about knives and the experiences that surround him and stuff like that. Because, yeah, he like tried to force it on me. And I was like, nope, I'm going to wait. <laughs> so, just so you know, Jim, in case anything gets lost in translation, okay. I don't need anything else, but that is mine. That is yours. Okay. <laughs> right. is mine. Just his, waiting. His, he, he's looking over at me with my hand on it. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, grail knives. So, do you have anything to add other than you forging a katana? <laughs> Jim, content. Come on. over here. Yeah. Come on. No, um, um, honestly, honestly, I don't. Like, There's not no a, knife not that you're like, I mean, it doesn't have to be something fancy. I mean, well, you I mean, just got this microtech. I mean, that was, the, I don't know if that's a grail, but it's something you've always wanted. It is something that I've always wanted, the Scarab. Another knife that I've always kind of wanted was a Randall Model 3-5. Oh, yeah, I can see why. Right, yep. Randall Model 3-5. I love up sweat points. I guess, so for that, in this context, in this scope, that would probably be my grail knife because I don't have one yet. Oh, there you go. So, so that's a good one. Yep. Um. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, oddly enough, not uh, blowing smoke any, up anybody's skirt, but the... Uh, the right Bark River Wilderness Explorer. Like a well-ground... I'm waiting for you guys to come out with another run of those because I'll be excited about that. Yeah, because I think that's yeah. the hottest knife in your line, not the hottest original that you guys have. Right. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. like yeah. Bark River knives that were designed by you <clears> Well, well we, we, we all love the Wilderness Explorer. I remember when we were building it, everybody's like, this is one of the nicest knives we've ever made. Yeah. This is phenomenal. I love holding it to everybody. Everybody down the line, from the guys in Hafting to the Blade Grinders to the guys assembling them, we're just like, this is awesome. You know, This the, is really nice. You know what's going to happen though, right? What's that? I'm going to try to talk Nick into... Well, I like the stainless, Uh huh. but it's so damn hard to solder. 
So I'm going to see if Nick will make me a brass or nickel silver version. Uh-huh. When you guys are machining the guards and stuff. And oh. I'll slip one in. <laughs> and I'm going to uh-huh. scarf all the parts. Have you guys convex it and do a uh-huh. soldered guard on it. Yeah. With you know, Because you guys do the stainless Corbys on those <laughs> yep. and everything. Mm-hmm. And a brass thong tube in black micarta with red liners. But your convex job, like right. have a perfect grind on there. And that will be money. Just give it to, <laughs> me. Give it to <laughs> me. I'll make sure it's right. That will be money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, yeah. We like that knife a lot, too. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Um... Pierce. Yes. How old were you when you got your first knife? Can you remember what it was? Jim. So so my first knife, no joke, was like a, a four inch frost cutlery trapper. There you go. Single blade. Nice. With a with with a, with a clip on it and everything, and it started my love of using and carrying knives. And this is It's a good boy's knife. This is just just behind when I wanted to go to work with my parents. During oh nice. The summer. So it's just before that. So it's like we we lived we lived in Illinois and we had a 15 acre property. And my parents got this awesome deal on on a, on, on a large house with a pond and 15 acres of land and everything. And, and there was a lot of times where I spent outside. And Dad's like, "Well, while you're out there, you might as well, you know, learn how to not cut yourself there by you cutting yourself." Yeah. So knife discipline. Right. Oh, totally. And it's super important that everybody needs to learn how to do, especially when they're young. And and he gave me this thing and I carried it around with me and I used it to sharpen sticks and cut branches and sh- and and stuff. Nice. <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, I, I think I made my first trap with it. Oh, nice. It was a, it wasn't a deadfall trap. It was a it was a, it was a I was trying to make it It was the Rambo swinging log <laughs> with spikes sticking out of it. Well, yeah. No, no, it was it was the whiplash thing. Yeah, you're right. Right, 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 with with the bent with the bent tree right. between two other trees. No. No, it's like I tried to make that and of course it didn't work at all, but I, I remember spending about 3 or 4 hours trying to make it work. <laughs> hey man, that's what it's all about. And and uh, and and I had such a really good time with it. It was a you know one of those memories where you just spend some time with yourself and you have a really good time and you're just like it was a good time. Yeah, it was uh, a good time. That's like woods time. You know what I mean? And, that's what it's all about. And that's that's kind of what started my love for 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 knives and knife making because that's what opened my eyes to the possibilities of what I'm doing with a tool. And then then all of a sudden you look a little bit deeper and then you're like all of them are shaped different. Right? They do what, different things. What? What is? Uh. What? What's going on? And then, and then from then, I was going to work and assembling knives at Blackjack. That's sweet, man. And so, so it's like my my first, I think my first, my first Grail knife that I loved ever so much, and it was because I loved my dad so much when I was young, was was the Mamba. Oh right. Oh yeah. I mean, I I remember I remember we had to do a crossword puzzle. It was third grade. We had to do a crossword puzzle, and and uh, or it was no, it was it was one of those. It wasn't a crossword puzzle. It was like one of those letter word finding word searches. Okay. So you had to solve questions to get the letter, oh. and and then you had to put the letters in the right order. Gotcha. And we had to make this thing in third grade. Well, my, and, I, well, and, then, and then you had to draw a picture of the thing that you're trying to spell. Well, I drew the knife. Across the thing, and it was the mamba. And I remember getting like a C on it or something because oh, I probably right. screwed up the questions, but the drawing was really cool. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and and. Uh, and uh, it was uh, it, it was just really cool to get that kind of a gift and have that kind of experience, which led to everything. Yeah, that was the first cool. step. In do you the have journey. a mamba? I do not. Although we have mamba two blanks, I should just make one. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's looking at me with his eyebrows raised. It's like, yeah, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a second one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah You're picking up what I'm putting down. So, so yeah, that was mine. Um, how about yours? Good, sir. Uh, you know what? I Off air, we kind of glanced over this, and I told you what I thought my first knife was, and I was wrong, and I just remembered exactly what it was. Okay. And some cool stories. Uh, 
Grandfather was a captain of a ladder company, the fire department down in Tucson, Tucson awesome. Fire Department, Station 7. Uh, he's still alive, but has since retired. Uh, he's in his 80s now. And he had a his best friend at the time who has now passed away. And you guys may have heard a little anecdote re regarding this whole story, but I'm going to repeat it because it's worth repeating. Uh, Chester Adams. Now, Chet, uh, we called him Chet, Uncle Chet. He, had, he passed away a number of years ago. But he used to hook us up with the coolest stuff all the time. Like my grandfather and I each. Mm -hmm. So nice. my first real knife that <clears throat> was given to me, my first real knife <clears throat> possession that I had on me all the time was in the early to mid-80s, mid-80s. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a Swiss Army knife champion. Okay. Big fat bastard. Yeah. It's about yeah. Three, like three quarter of an inch wide. Yep. It's got the magnifying glass. It's the got fish two and scaler. a half million different things on yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, it's got the scissors, everything. And I, <laughs> and it was in a little leather belt pouch. And I carried that thing forever. And I, I lost it in a move when I was about 14 or 15 years old. And I remember being really distraught over it because this thing was my companion. Now, this is, it kind of predates MacGyver. So when MacGyver came on the scene, I was like, I too carry a Swiss Army knife and immediately identified with this guy. <laughs> and uh, and I lost it in the move. And it wasn't until we moved up here that I was over visiting with Reed at North Star Trading Post. Mm -hmm. And he had one and I got all yeah. nostalgic over it. But I wasn't like <laughs> gushing or, you know, I wasn't really looking for this. I was actually blindsided by Reed's generosity. Mm -hmm. He's like in the only the most obnoxious way that Reed can say. He's like, uh, he's like, you got a quarter? And I was like, yeah, I got a quarter. Actually, I didn't. Eat, I don't think I had a quarter. I think I had like 15 cents or something. Like that. Right. <laughs> so I, was like, I got 15 cents. He's like, here. And I gave him 15 cents. He gave me the knife. And I tell you what, that's a treasure of mine. I, every once in a while, I still EDC it. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but I do. And I think it's great. And that was my first like knife possession that I had with me forever. I had it since I was a child. And there was a little hiatus from the time I was 14 to the time I was 35, but I got it back again. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, that was, so that was pretty cool. So I would say that's my first time. All right. <coughs> Next question from Mr. Phil Remington. Jim, being the movie buff, buff that you are, what is your favorite weapon featured in a fantasy flick? Also, have you ever tried to replicate any blades from the big screen? Well, I don't really know the science behind lightsabers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it hasn't so, come to fruition so, yet so so uh, um no, no i'm a huge nerd i love i love not necessarily lightsabers so much as how cool they look in the entire philosophy and it's a sci-fi thing and oh, that's yeah. that's like a deep part of my soul is star wars but another huge part of my soul is conan the barbarian it was, it was. I think so did is, you see the comments on this or no 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 i didn't okay you ready okay Hang on, i hate to interrupt you jare bear says Conan's sword. <laughs> and then Cody Atherley says, I'd say lightsaber. <laughs> so do you oh guys know God. Jim or what? <laughs> I'm, I'm easy to read. What can I say? <laughs> you got so, your A and B chosen for you. That was awesome. Oh, my God. It totally does say yeah. that. Oh, my God. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got to catch up gang. to that. Yeah, yeah, good job, Trench Crew. Nice one. So yeah, totally Conan sword, the Atlantean sword, the one that he finds in the cave. He's being, he he's just get, gets freed from his master, and he's being chased across the plains uh, by the wolves, and then he falls down into the thing and finds and finds like this old king, which he which he thinks is Crom. He finds the sword with the skeleton hand resting on it. And he pulls it up, and it's got the the spider webs on it that are that are that are whistling in the wind and everything. And he slams it on the <laughs> on the rock to get all the dust off or the dust and the rust off of it. And he and he, and he holds it. and He looks at it. and He's like, fuck yeah, sword. 
Oh, I gotta leave that out. I, and, you, you guys should see what Jim is pantomiming right now because I'm pretty sure he's reenacting the movie motion for motion. Like, like it's insane. Now I want to go watch Conan now, and then just so I can see these exact expressions and motions, like he's flexing when Arnold would have been flexing. Like, it's cracking me so, up. When I was young, though, man, I, I watched that movie every day. Dad. Dad and my brothers got the VCRs out and they edited like the sex-free version. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> of that and just like took out took out all right, the all the adult content. Yeah. Right. So 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 it was uh and I would watch it all the time and um and uh and it was it was to the point where I told my Sunday school teacher what the meaning of life was and I think I covered that yeah, in the yeah, previous yeah. episode. And and uh, and I did I had the sword thing, you know, where where he wakes up from consciousness and he's doing the he's doing the overhead the sword thing and he flips it down and he starts flipping it around and stuff. I did that like I don't know what the word is that's similar to verbatim for motions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in complete accurate reenactment. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, but um, but yeah, that that was that's probably my favorite right there. It was, it was Conan's Atlantean sword because it it looks cool and I love the story and it's awesome. It's cool. I just think yeah. it's great that between Jer Bear and Cody, absolutely, they're like Conan sword and lightsaber. And you're like, well, lightsaber and Conan sword. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I've got so, a, all right, what a, what another I, question for you, Jim. All right, all right. If I ahead. start shaving with a straight razor, what are the pros and cons of traditional shaving cream versus the new conventional shaving creams? Also, when will Bark River have the custom razors available to buy? <laughs> all right, well, the uh, the custom razors, if we can just start there, um, that's probably... I don't know if that's ever actually going to happen. That's something that I would love the to do. The sixth Tuesday of Neverary. Uh, Neverary. <laughs> <laughs> the twenty eighth of Neverary. Twenty ninth of Neverary. Um, so, so it's a one. It's a time thing. Two. I don't know of an economical way to do hundreds of right. custom razors with that deep of a hollow grind the way I want to do them. And no one can really figure it out without burning the crap out of them. Or you do it by hand, and you just keep the blade cool as you do it. Right, and I and it takes a long time to do. I've done it before. I've shaved with my own razors. I've shaved with other people's razors. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I I mean, it's 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 great, and it was a super satisfying feeling to actually make them yourself and do it. But as far as custom razors go for sale, I don't know if I'll ever actually be able to do it. If if things change down the road and new technology becomes available to make it a little bit more economical for me to spend less time doing it, because that's the key, right? Right. Uh, um, I don't want to spend a day grinding one blade. <laughs> no, you charge an ungodly amount of money. Right, right, right. Um, or even, or even five. So, um, what would be your? I'm sorry, guys. What, that's okay. What would be your uh, impression on new versus traditional shaving creams? Okay, so so traditional shaving creams. Just to define those real quick. Modern shaving creams come in a can that you shake and you spray it out, and it's the foam. The thing is that that those some those a lot of the times dry out your skin really bad, and they're a little bit more harsh. So you have to follow them up with, uh, you know, with 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 some sort of like really really good moisturizer or, um, I think men call it aftershave lotion. Aftershave, do men do that, Matt? They, yeah, okay, men, okay. yeah, men don't call it moisturizer. They call right. it aftershave. Lotion. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. <laughs> so, um, hate to get all what's the name, Ron Swanson. Ron on Swanson you? on me, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Government sucks. I have a permit for that. I do what I want. <laughs> Signed, that's the Ron best. Swanson. That's the best. <laughs> Um, so traditional shaving creams, and even though they're made in modern times now, basically, um, they whip up a lot better. They're a lot smoother. They go really well with the shaving oil. 
And they have like animal tallow in them or something yeah. like that that may uh, be that moisturizing agent. Absolutely, yeah, and, and it's and that's that's the best. I mean, you can you can sh- shave once with uh with, with with your with your with your modern shaving cream, then put it aside and go get and learn how to use traditional shaving soap that you whip in a with a brush and a bowl and everything with lather, and then shave with it. It is night and day is not a good enough distance. Wow. Apart, it, it's like it's like Alpha Centauri versus our solar system. I mean, difference. I mean, I mean, it I'll is. Take your word for it. Okay, so <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just, it's so incredibly different. No kidding. <clears throat> and uh, and once you once you do it, at, at least for me, a lot of people don't care, or you know, everybody has their own opinion. But for me, I was hooked at that point. It's like this is the only shaving cream I'm ever going to use ever again. Is stuff that I can whip in a brush. Well, and I mean, so, let's be honest too. Mm-hmm. Let's call a spade spade. If you're into the finer points of straight razor shaves or traditional mm-hmm. shaves. Then there is something to be said about the ritual of whipping up a shaving lather. Uh, absolutely, that goes hand in hand with that. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You don't go black powder shooting in a Black Hawk tactical chest ring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you wear your cotton, lace up the metal. Yeah, exactly. You know? tunic with your powder horn. And you know <laughs> right. what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 and I, you know, and really that can be construed as. I don't know how it can be construed, but I'm sure in some kind of negative light. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is it's okay to enjoy what you enjoy Mm -hmm. and enjoy doing it the way you enjoy doing it. That's why I've always embraced what I've always called, like, the nerd culture. Oh, sure. Because there is no more Mm -hmm. Foxtrot, Tango, Whiskey people on the planet. Yeah. They're like, this is what I love. And I don't really care what you think about that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to do it all the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so to me, involved, like, that yeah. is the most backbone you're going to find in an individual is somebody who's like, you know why I like the traditional lather? Yeah, because it makes me my skin feel better. But because I enjoy doing that. And that's why I use straight razor instead of Mach 3s. You know what I mean? Because right. I enjoy it. And yep. if my personal hygiene slash maintenance is a ritual that i enjoy then so be it and you're gonna do it and, and yeah. I, I i will totally admit to that i love that ritual i do i love it it's great i think i think that's and, cool <clears throat> yeah i mean because that's a fulfilling life and i don't mean to get on like a philosophical soapbox but i mean that is a fulfilling life when everything down to the mundane task of shaving mm-hmm. is something you enjoy doing and take pride in and even have like a collection and a maintenance kit and it's something that you really geek out on then i mean boy do you have a leg up on uh, the other guy who couldn't care less about anything he does day to day. You know right. what I mean? He sits, he sits in a, I almost said the S word, but a crummy job. He sits <laughs> in a crummy job, goes home to kind of a, um, argumentative wife. I'm using all kinds of euphemisms. Uh, argumentative <laughs> wife, maybe. Mm-hmm. He's got one want bulb children. You know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> that's how, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's that guy. He just kind of dulls all the way through it. Whereas people who take pride in these little rituals, whether it's knife sharpening or straight razor selection, and I keep using the term ritual because I, I don't know what else to call it. Procedure, method, I don't know. Well, it is a ritual. But, yeah, I mean, you know well, what I mean? Well, it's, but, it, but it is a procedure. I mean, there's a certain way you do it to, to maximize That's to like maximize some the Zen Japanese samurai <laughs> stuff, though. You know what I mean? It, it You're totally like, is, yeah. It's like a tea ceremony almost. You know what I mean? Almost. You're like, I do this perfectly so that I can do... And I'm pantomiming, stirring... Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, badger hair over a coffee mug. <laughs> you guys can't see that, of course. Wait till we get video. And then taking the straight razor, which I'm holding incorrectly, even in pantomime, to your face, and you know, cutting hair off. Like I think that's cool. I think that's a that's a that's a lifestyle worth embracing. That's all I'm saying. All right, tangent over. Okay. Next question. Sorry, Jim. Um, I've had a long 
day, and so I'm a little wound up last, on some other last stuff. Last few days have been pretty long. Yeah, uh, that's a good So uh, comment under that, Matthew Rowell, second the shaving three, I just moved over to safety razor to stop thinning my wallet with Mach 3 blades. Always more to learn here. So, cool. so economically, absolutely right on top of it. Yeah, that too. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, spend, you spend X amount on the safety razor blades. You use those till they're dull. And you get like a hundred at a time in a pack. Oh right, and and those and, are like the quintessential razor blade, like punk rock razor blade. Oh right? yeah, little, absolutely. With with the design in the center. And, yeah. I mean, that's so it locks in and right. you tighten it from the bottom. And yeah, no, that's the way to go. Cool, absolutely. All right, I get to <clears throat> getting into that just because mm-hmm. they have cool metal handles and stuff like that. Uh, there's lots of people that do that, but I, I mean, like that's a, that's like a culture within the shaving culture. I shave safe, like safe once razor guys. a month. Maybe yeah. just like because my fur grows up as I've gotten older, guys, my face fur starts approaching my eyelashes and it will grow. I look like Wicket. If I was a little bit overweight, I would look like Wicket from Star Wars. You walk. And so I just have hair and I have kind of. Yeah, so I don't shave very often. But when I do, I need something. I could I could mm-hmm. see getting into a safety razor for as infrequent mm-hmm. as I shave. It would work well yeah. and be cool looking like a brass one or something. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm going to field this one. Uh, sure. Jared O'Brien. Uh, excuse me. Is it better to use a jig to grind bevels when you're first learning or better to just jump into freehand? Mm. Okay, uh, Jared, I'm going to answer this with one very simple analogy. Is it better to learn how to drive a self-driving car before you jump into driving, or is it better to learn how to drive a stick shift? Mic drop. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I totally agree. That's if you can if you can grind freehand, then you can grind freehand. I mean, the only reason you should even use a jig, and I and I shouldn't say this. The only reason I would ever use a jig, I've never used a jig in my life. But the only reason that I would, and I've thought about it, I just haven't found one that I think will work right just yet, is for production numbers. Yep. So if you're a custom maker, then I don't think you should use a jig at all. Honestly, I I. I, maybe I'm one of those kind of purists that I'm like, if you're custom making a knife, that's kind of, uh, you know what I mean? Well, but I, th- I think I think that stems from you. You never used a jig when you started custom knife making. No, I mean, so yeah, but uh, yeah, but then your your grinds are super tight because you've just tightened yourself up to that point. I mean, I, but does but does a jig allow somebody to have the confidence to keep on going? I I think it's you know, hindering. You know what I mean? Gotcha. I think because look, if you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because gotcha. your your first knife, I mean, it may be awesome. You may be one of those guys that like puts everything into your very first thing, and you just have a natural aptitude. Uh, I was not that guy. Nope. Uh, and so nope, I wasn't um, that guy either. That's why. I and agreed. it's okay if your first knife isn't exactly what you want it to be. It's kind of the thrill to hunt. Like, no, you know, I was kind of being a jerk earlier when I was like, oh, I've never met a blade that I couldn't grind, but that's because I've met a thousand blades that I hated and that I had such a hard time with. And I spent a lot of time on that one thing on the grinding. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I think you lose your claws. You become like a declawed house cat. I'll use that analogy a lot of times. Uh, when you start off with some sort of mechanical advantage or some kind of cheat or jig or something right off the gates, Mm -hmm. it'd be smart if you could, Oh, I'm sorry. That's so rude. It was my mom. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you know what I mean I think you you lose your edge a little bit if you jumped right into fixture grinding I think if later on down the road when you were like you know what I tried grinding um, I want to do a lot of Scandi grinds mm-hmm. those are very difficult if not virtually impossible to do freehand perfectly nope yep you know what totally. I mean like it's just a hard grind to do <laughs> because you have very little margin for error and it has to come to uh, error and it has to come to a zero edge yep so Scandi grinds are one where it's like hey I'm going to make Scandi Pucos 
and I want to make a hundred of them. And I found that the grinding, so if you're engineering it as like a production method, then get a jig and do that. But if you want to make custom knives, skip the jig. Come back to it later, and I promise you, you won't. And eventually, when you come back to it, you'll think it's going to save the day. You're going to get it and realize it's not any easier, and yeah. they come out looking worse, and you're going to go right back to oh, freehand. Uh, yeah, it's because you're not used to the jig. I mean, right. And conversely, too, the same way. I mean, if you start with a jig, you no longer have that guide, and so your first freehands are going to suck where you were putting out nice knives before. Right, and, and at the and end so, of the day, if you're a custom maker, can you make a knife or not? Right, Can exactly. you make a knife? Yep. If you have spinning yeah. abrasive in your proximity, I don't care if it's a 4x36 or a 2x72, mm -hmm. if you have spinning or a wheel, right. a stone wheel, can you make a knife? And I, you know, I'm going to leave you with that question because that's the one that will keep you up at night if you're contemplating getting a jig. You're like, can I make a knife? I call myself a knife maker. Can I actually make a knife? <laughs> and so, uh, and not you, Jared. I'm just saying anybody, you know, whatever. Mm. Uh, James Hunsberger, as a kid growing up in Michigan. Woo! I was a huge Marbles Knife fan. But good for you, James. Mm -hmm. I am a huge Marbles Knife fan myself. They started my love for Michigan-made knives. Can you discuss the resurgence of knife makers and... Oh, this is a good question. And knife businesses in Michigan's UP? It's great to hear about U.S. production and new jobs, particularly in the UP. Right. So to talk a little bit about local UP politics, the UP doesn't seem to understand... And, and I know I'm taking a, an immediate position here. UP doesn't seem to understand how business and money work <laughs> as far as the as far as the like 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 the chamber of commerce and people people that you know the, the businesses that work up here um there's not really a whole lot of manufacturing incentive to be manufacturing here which there's, is ironic because there is a fair amount of manufacturing up here oh yeah absolutely it, so the infrastructure's mm -hmm. here I mean, I mean, business is going to crop up where business decides to crop up. Right. I mean, regardless of the situation, but it's like as far as as far as uh, you know, getting help from the municipality to be able to do that and expand lower taxes or or grants or anything like that, right. non-existent. Incentivize the yeah. startups. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally non-existent. Um, because, but but they're but they're totally okay to uh, you know, open up two thousand auto parts stores. They do have a lot of auto parts stores. Yeah, there's a lot of auto parts stores up here. But we're doing it anyway, and we're, um, so, so uh, about the resurgence of knife makers and knife businesses in, in Michigan's UP, in Michigan in, in Michigan's UP. New Sheffield, we're starting to call it, James. Yeah. So, you know. There's so there's the buzzword. It's New Sheffield. So um, the thing is, the thing is, we're all friends. We all tend to support each other. All of us have our own set of skills. All of us have our own connections, and and just kind of working independently. Together, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, we're, well we're we're all kind of prospering for that, and then in this area where we live, um, there's there's a lot of incentives to live here, like lower cost of living, real estate's cheaper. Um, there, there's just there's just a lot of business friendly situations that are here that are circumstantial. No, well, I mean, and that's so, the whole thing. So, mm -hmm. uh, like in martial arts, if you're an upper rank and uh, young kid or whatever attains a rank that you had already attained. Um, there's somewhat of a, a good juju for the upperclassmen to give, let's say, uh, you know, I'd long passed my orange belt and a kid who I thought had a lot of promise just got his orange belt. Right. I would give him my orange belt and present that to him at his right. graduation. Mm -hmm. and because it's kind of like it's already charged up with the experience from that time. Mm -hmm. So in the esoteric side of things, we are basically coming back to the United States hub of fixed blade sporting knives or the genesis, the point of genesis for what type of knives that we make. Mm -hmm. And so there's this kind of 
like the dirt's charged with it. You know what I mean? Not to get too out there, but um, on top of that, it's very inexpensive to live here in uh, terms of real estate and business property and housing costs and stuff like that. So when you are on a starving custom knife maker's salary or you know, kind of cutting your teeth as a production knife maker, there's a little bit more leeway as to what you're taking in as to what's going out, which is what we experience in Colorado. Now, uh, our income has gone up a little bit since we've been here because we've been moving into some different models and different production methods. But previous to that, we were just shoveling money. We were house poor is the term for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Colorado, it was so expensive. Milk, eggs, <clears throat> everything was so, meat, everything was so expensive right. down there that we were like, we can't seem to get a leg up. Yeah. So we said, let's go to the UP where the infrastructure is there. The manufacturing centers are here. The other knife companies to talk to and bounce ideas and get experience from. And like, quite honestly, sometimes even watch and be like, ooh, I don't want to do that because they're in the middle of something right, right now. Absolutely. And so, I mean, there's a lot of learning on both sides of the coin. So, but either way, having that experience is invaluable. And I tell you, it catapulted me in our company uh, many levels up in a shorter amount of time. And I've been doing this for almost 10 years now Mm -hmm. and full time for uh i guess almost four four yeah yeah almost four years of full time and so uh, but we've come leaps and bounds uh and we're able to fine tune into some pretty big deals so a lot of people are i know huck goodness and uh he moved from arizona we moved from colorado zoe christ of Zoe Chris Damascus moved up from North Carolina. Jesse Hempel came up from Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek and Knife Ship Free came all the way out here from Oregon. Um, who else is up in there? I mean, it's just like holy cow! Like it just. I think, I think that pretty much rounds it out. Is that, I, I feel yeah, like I'm missing. Dan Tope was already here. Dan Tope was already here. Yeah, he, right. Yeah, he. Yeah, for uh, some, yeah, he was already just here yeah. making knives on his own. Right, and, and of course, so, then we have like Hess knives that's already <clears throat> here. Yep, yep. Uh, Hess knives already here. Um, marbles was here and now is kind of being manufactured here private label again you know what mm-hmm. i mean um trying to think i mean there's a lot i mean there's a lot going on here uh i'm i'm drawing blanks i know there's more people but i'm totally drawing a blank so that's all i'm yeah, gonna go there, with right now i think there's um one of jesse hempel's students is starting his oh, own okay. thing I, I, uh, nice. no up forged oh, okay up forged so there's a there's a there's a smith here in town that's gonna smith his blades like jesse hempel does oh that's cool um <clears throat> I think that's it, though. Yeah. I mean, like, other than that, I really can't uh, think of anybody who makes their own knives. Right. So. <laughs> it was well put. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just a lot, and we're hoping to see it grow, and we would like to see it become full-blown cottage uh, at some point instead of, uh, not that it's every maker in it for themselves, but, I mean, there's something to be... <clears throat> There's something to think about when it comes to Seki City, Japan, Laguiole, France, uh, Toledo, Spain, um, Zollingen, Germany, yeah, totally. even Sheffield, England. Yep. Is that you would have like a guard making house. Yeah. Oh, you would have a, a hafting sure. house. You would have a bevel grinding house. You would have a, you know, blade stamping house. And I would like to see some of that come here so that we have, oh, this is the guy you go to for blade finishing. This is you guy, you know what I mean? And then these more powerful companies can kind of emerge um not like big corporate conglomerates that swoop in but i mean like these independent knife companies can all of a sudden put their best foot forward because their knives are being made by experts in every facet so Mm -hmm. anyways that's kind of our ideal image and i can say that since we moved up here uh almost a year ago to the day we moved here november 30th last year it's november 9th right now um that we moved up here we bought a house and then we bought a building and mm-hmm. it's almost done, and we're about to move into it. And I, it happened so fast. I mean, we have multiple models out, and 
Um, it's so it's been working. So yeah, maybe the earth is charged up. Maybe the infrastructure is primed. The pump is primed, so to speak. And uh, yeah, it's working. So I, I invite come one, come all to New Sheffield if you want to seek out a future in knife making because it uh, there's a lot going on. And there, I mean, there are people who are uh, associated with the industry that aren't necessarily like friends or even acquaintances of ours. So I mean, the infrastructure is further reaching than just my social circle. Mm-hmm. All right, next question. Yeah. Oh, I'm ranty tonight, man. Holy cow. That's okay. It's all good, man. All right. um, Dan Malewski. In addition to Forged and Fire, what is the best way to introduce custom knife making to the average household? Uh, <clears throat> Performance. Uh, no, you know, well. Nah. I, I mean, just like. You know what? <laughs> I, I don't uh, think there is a way. Because right. it's a very mm-hmm. tough sell to take somebody who doesn't know anything about knives oh, oh you're talking se. about you're talking about like from zero yeah yeah okay, yeah totally. and, and then yeah. be like let me show you a 500 dollar knife right you're a 1200 dollars and they're just like what That's, are you crazy and then you're That's like i'm stupid. gonna use it yeah and they're like you're insane <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, no no um <clears throat> i i don't even know that forge and fire i you know you know what i'm gonna i'm dan i've I'm feeling so ranty. I could go on another tirade about this right now, and I don't want to subject you guys to that. So, uh, nah, f it. Here we go. All right. Charge it up. Yeah. So, forged and fire to me is outstanding in that it brings like awareness to the. Because I'm just really I'm talking out my ass right there. Because do I do, do we need to bring awareness? I mean, this isn't like feline leukemia. You know what I mean? Like we're well, we're having a spaghetti dinner for forged and fire. Yeah, yeah, here. exactly. Yeah. And so, but I mean, it's it's a TV show with concocted drama on it, and it sells commercial space. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, let's call a spade a spade. That's what TV shows, that's what the news does for you guys. Yeah. It's uh, it's not telling you about current events. It's telling you about something either so abhorrent or so exciting that you're willing to sit through each 15-second clip long enough to watch four minutes worth of toothpaste ad and cheeseburger commercials. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> that's what they're doing is they're selling ad space. So they make up this drama, and, and you're like, wait, this isn't like a tutorial. It's yeah. just, I mean, yeah, there are some knife experts on there. Mm-hmm. There's also some backyard hacks on there. But so it's not like you're sitting down with Bob Loveless every Sunday morning at nine right. on PBS, and he's like, "This week we're going to show you how to grind a hollow grind and polish." <laughs> you know, what I mean? these are people who are like, "Ah, I have 60 minutes to tear apart a Buick and try to make a serviceable knife out of it." <laughs> this is like a series from Mad Max to me, right? And, and the fact that. <laughs> Doug Markaida, who's a very accomplished martial artist, well-respected in the community, all-around great guy, comes up and says that this bent leaf spring can kill. That puts a negative connotation on the knife industry as a whole. Now, you guys may not understand, outside of the trench crew, that we are not allowed to advertise on Facebook, where it's very difficult to do search engine optimization Mm -hmm. because we can't buy our way to the top because we sell weapons. Now... I don't, I mean, I sell some that are considered weapons like daggers and stuff sure. like that, but primarily we mm. make field knives, and knives that, that people take yeah. pictures of. Dan Jakeway just put pictures up of his tunnel rat and I don't like talking about my own stuff on air, but he just put his picture of his knife that we made in his deer stand. And yep. you know what? He's not mugging anybody in a circle K parking lot. He's hunting <laughs> usually with family and friends for Christ's yep, sake. That's right. So, so 
painting everything in this weapon category when we try to advertise on facebook now look facebook shoves it down your throat every day by advertising by advertising by advertising when you finally crack and acquiesce and say yes i will give you five dollars or twenty dollars uh -huh. or two hundred dollars to push my campaign to reach more followers and i try to click that and they put up this giant red yep. and white x and they say no because they view knife makers as the, in the same light they look at the, i kid you not there's a list you can look it up porn sites yep gun sellers like gun retailers yep um what was the other one uh oh my god like telemarketing lawyers is probably lawyers, one of my yeah. favorites that's yeah. in there and then they're like knife makers so yeah. arguably the first tool man has ever created, which coincidentally goes along with the prostitutes as the world's oldest profession. Uh, espionage, <laughs> they say, is the second oldest profession. Knife making is clearly the third. Um, I used to say it was the second oldest until I found out espionage takes that song. So. Uh, but uh, so they throttle us so hard and they, they chastise us for making these weapons of minor destruction that we can't advertise or promote our business whatsoever. And then what happens on Discovery Channel, that, that show that gets the widest reach, that show that brings custom knife making to your kitchen or your living room sofa, it will kill. Underscores the point. It harms us. It's not good for us. And the fact that it's done under time constraints means that it's more about speed, which if you were on oh. the books with any custom knife maker, you know it yeah. ain't about speed. <laughs> you know that's not true. As opposed yeah. to quality. Now, not that there aren't quality makers on there and not that there aren't makers on there that make amazing stuff, but I tell you what, their most amazing work is not that bent piece out of a Ford Edsel that they crammed out in 60 minutes on Forged and Fire. So I think it is... <sighs> All right, there you go. So I don't think Forge and Fire is doing any favors. In fact, the only benefit I see to Forge and Fire, and you can ask me seven days a week, is that in a couple of months, we are going to see an enormous influx of once-used knife-making equipment hitting the secondary market. And I will be there to swoop it up because these dilettantes are going to realize how difficult it really is. Or, and they're going to want to sell it all. They're going to be like, ah, my husband Harold bought this forge and anvil and grinder. He used it once, burned his thumbs, and, and just it sits in the garage. Give me 200 bucks for it. And I'll be like, yes. Sold. Yeah. So there you go, Dan. Right. Does that answer your question? Probably not even close. <laughs> Thanks for your question, Dan. All right, all right. Next one, next one. All right. <laughs> Cody Affley. Lightsabers. Lightsabers. <laughs> what are the most valuable knives you own? Monetary and sentimental value, and do you use them? For example, my most expensive knife is my Kudo Misa. Props to Matt. But my most sentimental knife is my Beer Scout. I use both regularly. I love hearing that. All right. So um, my most expensive knife is probably my um, Evan Nicolades Beer Buster. Really? Yeah, for 500 bucks. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah 500 bucks. Yeah. Um, it's, it's fit and finish is great. I do like it. It's a cool slip joint. Um, and, and he does great work. So definitely check him out at SNYX, um, ESNYX.com knives. So that's probably my most expensive one. My most sentimental value knife somewhere around. I have an Effingham, Illinois blackjack owned cripple Creek, um, Barlow somewhere around here with, with, with both blades in it. Okay. And that was I think I think I think my father gave that to me when I was like eleven. This two hundred and fifty dollar sandbar stag knife, right? And and uh, I love it, 
absolutely so much. It's a it's a phenomenal knife, and um, that's probably the most um, that's probably the one I have have the most sentimental value behind. I like it. I'm never getting rid of it. It's mine forever. Right, right. I'll probably end up making more of them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> down the line, but that's cool though. But yeah, that one's that one's mine. What about yours? Um, my most expensive knife. I think I actually have no idea what the value is on it. Yeah, I I have I assume it's my most expensive knife. Okay, it was a Les George Ooh, custom made yeah. V fourteen. Oh yeah, you show me this one. Yeah, the yeah. only one with like full <laughs> half inch thick titanium round yeah. checkered scales. And so I mean, it's a lot a, of work that went into that. Yeah, so I mean, I I think that's my most expensive knife. But I honestly, I have no idea what like retail is. I don't even know what steel it is. I just know that I love it, and I know that I've never seen another one like it. Mm. And I know that Les is a pretty well known maker. Right. So I would say that's probably my most valuable knife. Um, under that would be probably a couple Randalls or something, but I would yeah. say that. And my most sentimental knife, um, you know, being completely candid with you guys, being in the industry, uh, we get a lot of fringe benefits. A lot of people gift us knives. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's pretty common that uh, people will be like, Hey, I want you to have this or right. something like that. And, uh, and so I've gotten so many gift knives that they most of my collection is comprised of that, and I never sell them or give them away. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, they're, they're gifts. Or, or give, I will give them away, but right. I will never sell. I'll never profit. Oh yeah, absolutely. From them. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so a lot of them are very sentimental, but just for the sake of brevity and answering this question, um, I think currently, like right now, as of the asking this question, my 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 most sentimental knife. I'm going to botch this because there's so many cool gifts and stuff in there. <laughs> you have to pick one. I, I do. And I pick my five-inch marbles ideal. Oh, Probably yeah. Probably because yeah. I am still in the throes of the first chapter of moving to the UP. Mm-hmm. And when I did, an old-time knife collector, old-timer knife collector, friend of mine back from Colorado, mailed me a care package with a marbles ideal, a match safe, and a compass. And it said, welcome to Gladstone. That's phenomenal. And... To me, that's like one of my most prized possessions. And when I look at that knife, I just feel really good. And I carry it and I use it. I don't use the Les George uh, V14 dagger, although it is a user. I just have not had the opportunity or necessity to use it yet, mm-hmm. as it is a pure fighting instrument. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I would say that uh, five inch ideal is probably my my mo- at this point in life. Is my I, most I know that when you first got it, you were super excited about it. Yeah, and yeah, I, I remember yeah, that. Still yeah. pretty stoked. So yeah. <laughs> and in fact, the fact that it inspired me to go out on eBay and try to find one and buy one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, you're right. That is cool. It is cool. So, all right, from uh, from um, Mr. Uh, Bolo from Bloodsport. <laughs> What's up, Andy? <laughs> Andy, Andy I, I, I know that you know that we we're, it's all in good fun, and you know that we love you. <laughs> oh, and thanks for the candy, Yeah, Andy. dude, thanks for the chocolate. It was great. <laughs> so um, um, what made you decide to actually start making knives as a living? Well, f- for me, I, I grew up in it, as we, we, we covered a little bit earlier. Um, I was born into it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you merely adopted it. I was born in it, molded by it. So, no, but... Um, but uh, I had I had a couple of different threads as I was going through college that maybe I wanted to break off from knife making and and uh, and go do other things. One of them was uh, Jigolo. Oh, uh, that's how I paid. That's how I got my way through freshman year of college. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, <clears throat> one of them was um, to to, uh, to to be a computer network technician um, for a penny dropper. Oh yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt. I'm really good. You don't know. No. <laughs> um, 
No, no. So, so because I love working with computers, I love I love uh, networks and file transfers and uh, different operating systems and management and system techs and stuff like that. That stuff just really, you know, just gets me get, just gets me going. And then I realized that I have zero patience to deal with anybody. When it comes I to deal with the GD customers. <laughs> I have people yeah, skills. I do not <laughs> have people skills when it comes to when it comes to that stuff. Because just like, well, Jim. How do I make this thing work? I'm like, well, you have to turn it on. <laughs> it's like, well, you have to left click on it. What this one, and then they hit the right one, right. the right button. I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't have the patience for that. I don't have it. And I and I realized that, and I'm like, you know what? I do have the patience for. I can make knives, and I can teach people how to make knives. There you go. And I can teach a crew how to make knives. And herd cats. And, and herd <laughs> cats. Yeah, it's like I, I, I'm, I'm about ready to break out my flamethrower for the herding cats right, thing. Right, you should. But, but um, yeah, I just realized that I'm just better at making knives than I am at networking. So, there you go. computers. So that's why I'm doing it. There you go. How about you, good sir? I know your story is probably cooler than mine. I don't know, cooler. I mean, it doesn't involve any <laughs> IT stuff, but... Uh, <laughs> is, is that cool? I... I... Uh, I used to have a job that had me traveling a lot. Uh, I'd be home about six weeks out of a year and not consecutively. Yeah. And it was uh, financially pretty good to me. And oh, yeah. Like I, I, made, I made really de- way more money than as a knife maker, I can tell you that much. Um, but it was putting a major strain on my home life and mm-hmm. my family life. So... I had obviously tinkered around with knives even while I was doing contract work and stuff like that. And I... Just kind of, you know, I happened to get a gig semi-locally to where I could be home, you know, all the time again for, you know, about a year maybe. And I did this for about five years. And, uh, you know, we decided to go full time. So I used the contract work to bankroll the knife company. And then we pushed the knife company and I pretty much saved my marriage. So that's <laughs> that's why I did this. And, uh, and then, you know, Jenna and I, my wife, you know, we, we made a kind of a dynamic team and we you know she helped me out greatly and uh i well especially while i was trying to learn how to do this and and then it just kind of grew organically from there so but we we starved um for a number of years i mean it was pretty tough like i mean it was really financially burdensome and we made some poor business decisions that were kind of still nothing damning but just like oh i wish i wouldn't have done that you know what i mean and uh had some customers are like i wish you hadn't done that either (laughs) but uh but you know we made good on our commitments and uh we're still continuing to do that and we've just now gotten to the point of being um prosperous and we don't i mean look we are jeeps miller light and uh, look i i smoke american spirit cigarettes because that's how the other half lives right uh, so I think and we well, use, not bad. And we use Viva paper towels. So I, I do. Those are my two luxuries: American Spirit cigarettes and Viva paper towels, guys. For, uh, for me, it's uh, organic Smucker's peanut butter. There you go. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. That's your luxury yeah, items. Uh, so we have a pretty simple lifestyle, and uh, we've just now gotten to the point where we can very comfortably live our very basic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it was a tough decision, and it was a, an endurance course to say the least. And we still have a infinitely long road ahead of us but uh yeah that's the story of knife making full-time for us very cool um and that's the uh that's the last question i believe that's a podcast (laughs) yeah yeah this whole thing i think we could probably just publish this podcast community q and we're an hour we're over an hour in this segment in this segment 
I told you I got ranty. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Maybe we'll do that. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. So so um, hey guys, thank you very much. My name is Jim Stewart. Signing off for um, Matt Martin. Nice to I, meet you. I threw my voice. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to make a joke. <laughs> so we'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much. <laughs>